you know, Rob, one of the movies that a lot of people have been buzzing about and talking about in genre circles has been the fact that Warner Brothers is bringing us back into the world of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And we got Snake Eyes. We got Snake Eyes coming. Now, I think a lot of us found it pretty interesting that instead of launching with a G.I. Joe movie per se, they were going to kind of, it looked like on the surface, uh, go in the route of like the MCU and start it with an individual character. Anyway, then it got really interesting because they added Henry Golding, the breakout star from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. He was great in The Gentleman. Uh, he's been good and solid in everything. That What a simple favor. That he was uh, that he was in, he was so good in a simple favor. He's really great, but we've been getting close to the release date of it, and wondering when are they going to start showing us some stuff. Now they began showing us some images, which we talked about the other day. But Rob, it's now here. We've got our first trailer for Snake Eyes. They call it a trailer. It is really a teaser. It's one minute. It's not like your traditional two and a half minute long trailer. It is very, very much just a first taste because there's not a lot of dialogue, not a ton of it at any rate. You don't really get a sense of anything going on in the story. It's, Rob, really what it is, it's just a little taster. It's like, hey, guys, Snake Eyes is coming. This is what you can expect. A hell of a lot of ninjas fighting with swords. And what (laughs) else are you coming to see this movie for? So they left a lot to still show us later. They just gave us a little taste. I, I'm i going to admit this, Rob. Considering we are relatively close, like we're three to four months from when Snake Eyes is supposed to come, I would have thought we would have gotten a full fleshed out trailer um, for their first trailer. But still, I think this one minute thing did give us a nice little taste. We got a sense of what this movie is actually DNA wise is going to be, even if we don't know much about the story yet. I'm sure that'll come in future trailers. But anyway, Rob, you had a chance to check out this trailer. What was your initial reaction to it? Dude, anytime people are fighting other people with swords in the modern day, <laughs> I'm pretty much in. Uh, you know, I I really like Henry Golding, and um, you know, he was a great romantic lead in in that movie with um, uh, um, the Mother of Dana- Dragons. Yeah, Daenerys Targaryen. It's the Christmas uh, movie. Emily, I can't remember. Emily, yeah, Emilia Clarke, and I really liked him in in Crazy Rich Asians. But in The Gentleman, he's so good. I, I, he was so good, and he's obviously a very talented actor who's very versatile. And so I, you know, seeing him as snake eyes, I'm like, yeah, you know, most of this trailer is not wearing a, the, 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 the signature helmet. And, you know, he's out of, uh, he's out of costume. And I, I'm like, okay, this looks like something that I could really get behind. <laughs> and, uh, as long as dudes are killing other dudes with swords, please bring it on. It can't come soon enough. Uh, I agree. I, I like what we saw. Again, it was just a little taste. Let's not overhype yeah. it. But for a first little taste, it's like, you know what people are coming to see this movie for. And so you loaded the first teaser with it. Nice move. Whether the movie's going to be any good or not, we'll find that out soon enough. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this first little teaser that we've got for Snake Eyes? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Did it increase your enthusiasm? Do you not really care so far? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your Thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? It's really simple. 
You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we should cover as a main topic here on The John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down... Let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan Markley, who writes, Hey, John, I noticed a small number of reviews coming out as of Saturday night for this movie. I found it enjoyable. It's talking about for those who wish me dead. I found uh, it enjoyable overall. Not great, but the point, but to the point, is there something I'm missing that critics aren't talking about? Would love to hear your thoughts. Bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, there is the new movie for those who wish me bit dead that is now out in theaters and of course on HBO max. If you want to watch it that way, uh, I've been excited about this movie for three reasons. One, the premise sounded interesting Two, you got an Academy award winning actress who doesn't appear in a shit ton of movies and Angelina Jolie leading it. But third and most importantly, Tyler Sheridan is the, the guy behind it. And everything this guy has ever touched has been magnificent, particularly to me, Hell or High Water, Wind River, you know, films like this. Of course, he was the writer uh, of um, Sicario. He, I mean, just this dude is, and he was in the first season of Sons of Anarchy, Rob. He was an actor in the first season. Whatever this dude does turns to gold. So I was very excited to finally getting around and seeing. I saw it later than I wanted, but I had family commitments this weekend and a terrific UFC event on Saturday, but that notwithstanding. <laughs> There's that. There is that. Um, and I will tell you this. This is the worst Tyler Sheridan movie he's done. That doesn't mean it's totally bad. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's not bad. But it is, I have just grown accustomed to Sheridan's level, high, high, high level of excellence. Like just beautiful high level of excellence. And so when a filmmaker like him comes along and delivers something that could generously be called pedestrian, it seems extremely disappointing. And you know what the funny thing is, Rob? I found that most of the problems with this film were regarding the script. We're really kind of targeted at the script. There are things that happen in this story. And again, this is not a spoiler discussion or a spoiler review, so I'm not going to spoil anything. But there are things that happen in this thing. You know, like when you're watching a low-budget 80s horror movie and you're like completely shaking your head at the decisions the teenagers in the horror movie make, Rob? You're familiar with that? I am like, I found myself several times going, why would this guy do that? Oh my God, why did she just do that? Come on, that dude would not do that. And I just found it. I mean, I get it. A lot of it was done for the for the pushing of where they wanted the story to go. But everything, every trope, Rob, from the villain over monologuing to, you know, certain things in nature that don't happen that way happening. Some <laughs> real extreme coincidences. Oh, so that just happened to happen at that moment. When, I mean... 
Uh, again, listen, Angelina Jolie delivers an incredible performance. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones fans, Littlefinger. I keep forgetting the actor's name, but Littlefinger, he's in it. He's actually really good. Um, uh, who's the kid who played Beast in the new X-Men movies? Um, oh, uh, what's his, and he was the, the star of Warm Bodies as well, but I'm freezing on his name right now. Um, and he's the new Beast. It, guys in the live chat, throw that in there. Who is it? Maybe I should just look it up here. On, Why am I drawing a blank? Um, it is... Uh, Nick Holt, Nicholas yeah, Holt. Nicole. Thank you guys. Nicholas Holt, uh, Nicholas Holt and Littlefinger as the bad guys. Really good. And they had a great on-screen chemistry. Tyler Perry even shows up in this movie. And like for, for a small part, I'm like, wow, he's really good in this too. So performances, John Bernthal performances across the board were good. The basic premise is a really cool idea. It's not, it's a perfect length. It's a little over an hour and a half. It's a perfect length. It's a really good length. So it's a nice tight package, but it was ironically, it was script problems that kind of kept it from being like a really good film. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, decent film. Uh, you guys saw, I had it up there on Rotten Tomatoes a second ago. It, you know, the majority of the critics are liking, it's got a 62%. Uh, the, the audience ratings are 85. So generally positive. I just, I went in admittedly, Rob, with really, really high expectations because... Well, I, yeah, rightfully so. Taylor Sheridan. I don't know. Where, where have your expectations been for this film right now? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I the trailer to me looked really interesting, even though it looked a little overstuffed. <laughs> Look, okay, we're in Montana. There's, there's a woman who works at a fire... She's a firefighter or spotting forest fires, and yet the criminal stuff happening, I'm like, well, that's that's an interesting milieu, you know? But it kind of looked a little hard to pull off, maybe a little uh, over the top. But uh, I really wanted to see it because of Mr. Sheridan's involvement. And I'm still going to watch it. Do you think, does this, does will this be a speed bump? Because I think it's generally being seen across the board right now, Rob, that, okay, not a great outing. And like it, Sheridan's name has been one of the most electric, um, has been like one of the most electric exciting names uh, in the movie business right now with everything he's been doing. Will this represent any kind of significant speed bump to his kind of ascension, uh, ascension, I should say, or will this kind of be overseen pretty quickly? How do you see it? I, I don't think it will because he's already got such a great body of work behind him. Like you said, Sicario, Wind River, uh, 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 Hell or High Water. I mean, he's been involved with so many prestige projects. And the thing is, people will just add this to the list. And even though this might be not up to par, it, it's not an unmitigated disaster. You still have an Oscar winner starring in it. And it's it looks to be quite an impressive from a production standpoint. So I don't think it will. I don't think it will hurt him at all. I, I think it's yet another project that gets made. And and I think uh, it can only be look getting anything made in this day and age is a good thing, but I think he's already got such an impressive resume that th this will just be yet another notch on his belt. All right, guys, question is for you. Have you had a chance to see those who wish me dead? By the way, the, after seeing the movie, the title really doesn't make a lot of sense either, but uh, whatever. It's just a title of the movie. Have you guys had a chance to see it? If so, what did you think? Did you think it was okay like me? Maybe you thought it was great. Maybe you thought it was terrible. Whatever it is you guys thought, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's go on to our second main topic today. 
And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Dave Perkins, who writes, Hey, John, I hope your week is starting off well. It has. Thank you so much. I've been hearing from various news outlets that AT&T may be spinning off Warner Media and have it merge with Discovery. Do you believe that this is happening? And if so, might Discovery be a good fit with Warner or at least make more sense than AT&T? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And well, Dave, it's not a report. It's not something that might happen. As of last night, it was, but it's done. At least the deal is done. It hasn't been executed yet. It still has to go through a lot of approval processes, and it's going to have to go through a government regulatory board, and there still may be a few steps that have to go. Could be a year, Rob, or more, before we see it made final, but the deal has been reached. AT&T is no longer going to be the owner of Warner Media. AT&T is divesting itself of Warner Media. They are getting rid of it. They no longer, AT&T no longer wants to be in the game. As the New York Times puts it, they are shedding the media business. A media business, Rob, that just a few years ago, AT&T invested over $85 billion to buy Warner Media and all of its assets. And today they have let it go for a paltry sum of $43 billion marking a massive loss. And Rob, this is the second massive loss that they've taken in the last little bit because just a couple of years ago, AT&T also acquired DirecTV for a deal worth $40 plus billion, and they just spun that off too and got rid of it for $16 billion. AT&T right now seems to be in the process and mode of, we need to correct all the mistakes that we've made over the last five years, even though we have to take heavy losses to get it. Rob, it cannot be, this may lack a little bit of the sexiness that Disney acquiring Fox had, but this is a tectonic shift in the Hollywood landscape. This is a massive, massive deal that has gone down. We're going to go over and take a bit of a look. Let me let me break down the basics of this for you guys, okay? Let, let's just look at the basics before we start reading through all the kind of stuff. And we're going to do that by jumping into the Campia classroom just for a second, okay? So here's, here's what's going on, all right? Because it can appear a bit confusing. AT&T, I'm not going to put the and symbol. AT&T um, uh, splits off Warner Media for... billion that they get from Discovery. Okay. Discovery will now take all Warner Media and merge with it into a new company. All right. So what we're going to have now is that this Warner Media entity that AT&T no longer has any ownership in They have divested themselves of it. They are no longer responsible for its debts. They are no longer, they've spun it off. In exchange for $43 billion in stocks and cash. And now Warner Media is going to merge in with Discovery and form a brand new company. It's going to be a totally brand new company. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing because some people reading and and some people writing into me, Rob, and saying, well, wait a minute, John, I heard that AT&T will own 71% of the new company. That is not true. 
That is just get rid of that. That is not true. This is very, very important and key to understand. Okay. Now this may sound like nitpicky little bits of info, but believe me, this is incredibly important. This new company, the new company, we'll just call it new company. Okay. This new company will comprise of shareholders, just like AT&T has shareholders um, Nabisco has shareholders. Apple has shareholders. This brand new company is going to have its own new set of shareholders. Those shareholders will be, will comprise shareholders of 71% of AT&T shareholders and the, the rest discovery shareholders. Okay. So as a part of this acquisition deal, the AT&T shareholders are going to themselves as individuals comprise 71% of the ownership of the new company. But this is key, everybody. Please hear this. Shareholders, Rob, owning something does not mean the company owns that something. Let's put it this way. Rob, let's say you and I are both shareholders in Apple. Okay, I actually do own some shares in Apple, uh, but let's say you and I both own shares in Apple. And then you and I also as individuals, there's like five million other shareholders, but sure. you and I as individuals also, I happen to own some stocks in not Logitech, but the company that owns Logitech. Anyway, we'll just call it Logitech. I also own shares in Logitech. That doesn't mean Apple owns part of Logitech. I am not Apple. The shareholder and the company are two different things. And this is important and something that a lot of people have been confusing, okay? In law, I'm going to oversimplify this, okay? So this is not going to be specifically accurate, but you'll just get the general idea. In law, a corporation is an individual entity. It is not the collection of the owners or the shareholders of the shareholders, Okay, the company is not the shareholders. The shareholders are not the company. The company is its own individual entity that has shareholders. Shareholders, Rob, who own tons of other shares in other companies and everything too. All right. So AT&T does not own 71% of the new company that Warner Media and uh, Discovery are going to merge into. Their shareholders do. Separate uh, from AT&T. That's an important distinction. And, and again, it sounds like, oh, uh, legal, technical, business, mumbo jumbo. It's very, very important distinction to understand. AT&T has gotten out of the Warner Media industry. They are no longer involved in media. They want to get back now and focus on their core businesses of telecommunications and internet communications and all that kind of stuff. The people who happen to be shareholders of AT&T also now are shareholders of this new company that Warner Media and Discovery are going to be. But Discovery, Rob, so Discovery paid $43 billion in cash um, and stocks and shares uh, for Warner Media to merge with it apart from AT&T, okay? Is, I, I hope that makes it clear. So 
it is no AT&T will no longer have any interest in Warner Brothers, Warner Media, CNN, TBS, all the things that are owned over there. Now, understanding that, let's go over and take a quick peek at what the New York Times is writing about this because this is this is pretty interesting stuff and it's pretty key. So what we've got here is this. AT&T, an abrupt turn, will shed media business and deal with discovery. We're going to read a couple of the paragraphs here, guys. AT&T wireless carrier that thundered its way onto the media business three years ago with grand visions of streaming on millions of its customer cell phones wants a do-over. It has agreed to spin off its Warner Media Group and merge it with a rival programmer, Discovery Inc., the company's announced Monday. The transaction will combine HBO, Warner Brothers, Studios, CNN, and several other cable networks with a host of reality-based cable channels from Discovery, including Oprah Winfrey's own network, HGTV, The Food Network, and Animal Planet. The new company, it's a brand new company. The new company will join together two of the largest media businesses in the country. AT&T's Warner Media Group includes the sports-heavy cable networks TNT and TBS, in addition to Discovery's long, strong lineup of reality-based cable channels. The company has large international sports businesses. The, mar- the merger will also be a significant about-face for AT&T, a telecommunications giant better known for servicing fiber lines and cell towers than producing entertainment and courting Hollywood. Industry experts questioned AT&T's daring $85 billion purchase of Time Warner at the time when cord cutting was only accelerating. The spinoff indicates a failed acquisition strategy. As part of the deal, AT&T will be able to shed some of its debt and get some cash and bonds together. It would amount to $43 billion. AT&T shareholders will own 71% of the new business with Discovery shareholders owning the rest. So now, Rob, these... The people who were shareholders of Discovery and the people who are shareholders of AT&T, they now will together be a new group of shareholders for a brand new company that we don't know what to call yet. Uh, HBO Overy. They should call it Warner Brothers something. Yeah, or maybe they'll just call it Warner Brothers something, you know. Discover (laughs) Brothers. I I mean, I don't know what they're going to call this new company, but it's going to be interesting. But Rob, part of the reason this is so damn significant is because right from the beginning, a lot of people were kind of looking side-eyed at the idea of AT&T taking over HBO, of AT&T, a telecommunications company, a company worried about selling you cell phones, now or, or owning Warner Media and all of its sub-companies. And that merger was directly responsible for the decisions being made about HBO Max and moving all the movies to HBO Max. It was that thing trying to please the AT&T overlords with that move. And, you know, it's it's just been a failed experiment. Ever since at and nobody's really been happy with what AT&T has done, uh, other than, you know, uh, some of the Snyder bros been really excited that they greenlit Justice League. So that's cool. And they've done a couple of other good things as well. Let's let's not be uh, hyperbolic here, but I think it's spinning off from AT&T and now joining up with another comp with another company whose focus is not selling cell phones and cellular plans, but a company that is focused on delivering entertainment to its consumers and its customers around the world is at least a better direction for Warner Brothers. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the guy in charge, the guy who's going to run this company, is the CEO of Discovery. 
he's the one who's going to uh, be running it. And I'm forgetting, I, I had his name here a second ago, but I've lost it. But Jason Kalar, the CEO of Warner Media. It's, it's David Zaslav. My, uh, uh, David Zaslav, thank you. So David Zaslav, the CEO of Discovery, he is going to be the head guy of this new company. Jason Kalar, who is the CEO of Warner Media, Warner Brothers or AT&T announced that he's going to remain in charge of Warner Media until the actual transition happens. So that could be six months. It could be a year. It could be two years. And then what happens to Jason Kalar, the chief guy at Warner Media, what happens to him after the merger? Well, that's going to be up to David. That's going to be up to the, to the head of D Discovery to decide what happens with him. Maybe he stays as kind of like the overseer of the Warner Media branch. Maybe there is not going to be a Warner Media branch. Maybe it's all just going to be merged into one thing. I mean, who knows? But his future is now in question. Jason Kalar's future is now in question. So this is this is interesting, Rob, because I think this is going to be, when you listen to stories from people like the Property Brothers or Chip and Joanna Gaines, the hyper-popular hosts of Fixer Upper, and you hear from all these people, one of the things that encourages me is that I've always heard that that was a discovery was a network where they really wanted because we've been talking a lot about this lately. They want the creators to lead. They just, you know, if you got ideas for shows, you got ideas for how to make your shows better. You have ideas that make that to make content that's going to connect with people that people are going to join, want to get on board with. Go. We are here to support you and to get that made because that's how we think we're going to make money. And Rob, this Discovery Plus network this plucky little thing that when I saw that they were launching a Discovery Plus, I said, guffaw. I mean, I like the Food Network and I love HGTV and I watch all that shit, but I didn't think a new streaming network was need for it. Dude, they've got 15 million subscribers already. They, they Say what you want. This company knows how to connect with its audience. And more importantly, Rob, they have a wider international network right now than Warner Media does. Warner Media is instantly going to get access to a lot more territories. And obviously, the Discovery side is going to benefit from this a lot as well. How is this going to impact the movies themselves? I don't think we're going to see any impact for three to four years. But I do think we're going to see a very different day-to-day -day way that Warner Brothers conducts business and is run than it was under AT&T. So maybe this will be great. Maybe this won't be so great, but we got a new company coming. Rob, th this thing is Teutonic. I mean, you heard about this. You looked into this. What are some of the thoughts that you think about and, and how's, how's your perspective on this whole thing? Well, knowing that we were going to discuss this today, I reached out to somebody who I would consider to be the, the, the most successful and highest ranking industry professional that I know across many different levels. So I, this is what I wrote. I said, so David Zaslav, Discovery CEO, will now be running the film division at Warner Brothers. Forgive me, but what does that guy know about movie making? Between Disney adding their distribution execs in place over those in charge of content creation and now this, where are the bosses who understand movie making? Will people like Kalar and Emmerich be shown the door? And here was the answer that I got. Uh, right away, by the way. So I want to thank this person f who watches this show. I want to thank this person for 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 giving me of your time. This is the answer that this person sent me. It's pretty amazing that there were thousands of employees at Warner Brothers who went into this weekend thinking they worked for one of the greatest studios in Hollywood only to wake up Monday morning to learn that they now work for one of the biggest reality TV companies in the world. The speed in which AT&T bailed out of their content creation ambitions took most people by surprise. 
However, the writing was on the walls whenever AT&T tried to mask their lackluster streaming numbers for HBO Max. Unlike Disney and Netflix, where the numbers they released were somewhat easy to comprehend, AT&T gave numbers that you needed to decipher and guess what they actually meant. This is a strong indication that AT&T was embarrassed about them and knew that shareholders would bail on AT&T if they knew the truth. Although it would have made more sense if Comcast merged Peacock with HBO Max, but AT&T would not have gotten a high of a value evaluation in the, in the potential merger. Who knows? Maybe David Zaslev will eventually move on to try and acquire Viacom or even Comcast. Look at what Sumner Redstone did when he built up Viacom and eventually acquired CBS, or even when Endeavor took over William Morris. Sometimes the smaller players eventually come out on top if the bigger fish aren't careful. But to answer your question, yes, about Jason and Toby, I think their days at Warner Brothers are numbered. That explains why there have been published reports that Toby Emmerich has been trying to get a job at Netflix. Toby probably knew that Discovery would be taking over his company and saw that his contract was coming up during the closing window. Usually in these cases where a top-level executive's contract is coming up when a major change is anticipated, that executive would get a contract extension to ensure that they have a place in the new configuration. I suspect that they had told Toby he, that they would not give him that contract extension he desired. Frankly, I don't blame the current current management because Toby has taken one of the greatest Hollywood studios to one of the last places where talent wants to work. I could write a whole thesis on how the legacy of Warner Brothers was destroyed the moment Kevin Sujahara and Toby Emmerich took over the reins of the studio. The chummy bro culture will continue to exist until some major change takes place. So yes, David Zaslav is going to reshape the film business for Warner Brothers, but I am hoping that he can make the right decisions to bring Warner Brothers back to some sort of normalcy. Frankly, it can't be any worse than what AT&T was doing with the studio. Well, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I think this is a, I think Warner Brothers and Warner Media as a whole, I, I, just, I use the terms interchangeably. I shouldn't, they are two different things, but Warner Brothers, Warner Media as a whole today I think the future looks better than it did yesterday. I think them being merged in and under the control of a company who has made a business out of delivering entertainment to individuals is better than them being under the control of a company whose job it is to sell cell phones. Yep. And, and I think, cause Rob, you've made over the last couple of years, a lot of really good, keen observations about the dysfunction of Warner Media being owned by AT&T and some of the decisions that we've seen as a result of that. And Rob, one of the results has been a total destruction of their relationship with talent. Yeah. Like from everybody from Denis Villeneuve to uh, James Gunn to Christopher Nolan to many others have come out and lamented that they hate working with AT&T and Warner Media now under the way it's being run by AT&T. They call it Christopher Nolan even now called them the worst streaming service uh, in the world. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's interesting because the Discovery CEO in one of his first statements, now that they've taken over Warner Media, has been with us has got to be about our relationships with creatives and talent. It's, we've got to prioritize our relationships with talent. And Rob, I don't think it's a coincidence that he said that with the background of Warner and AT&T burning so many bridges with talent. And now we've got the new CEO coming on saying, number one priority, we've got to build strong foundations with our talent because that's been their background with all of their 
you know, HGTV, Discovery, Food Network, it's all been because of their strong relationships with their talent. How do you see that, you know, evolving? Is that going to be the right strategy for them? Or, or what else does this new company need to focus on to get Warner Media back on track? Well, I, I, I think like, you know, the letter I just read and then also what you were saying is, you know, these companies are only as good and only as strong as the content that they're creating. I yes. mean, everybody, and 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 I think that there is a huge disconnect between corporate interests because you can't quantify on a spreadsheet whether a movie is good or bad other than by box office. <laughs> but no one ever asks, well, what makes a movie good? Well, the incredibly talented people that make that. But how do you quantify that on a spreadsheet that shareholders can look at? They can only look at the final results. So studios, especially Warner Brothers, I mean, Clint Eastwood has been allied with Warner Brothers for, I think, 50 years now. You know, he's been making movies. He's he's 90 years old. and He's been making movies for more than half his life with the studio. Some have been OK. Some have been really good. Some have won Oscars for Best Picture, like Unforgiven. But the amount of movies that Clint Eastwood has made for Warner Brothers, that's what a studio wants. And yet the corporate interests, they don't even know what that means. You know, it's like they'll look at, well, Clint Eastwood made one good movie first and then the next movie wasn't so good. But when you look at the relationship the studio has with talent over decades, I think you're going to be in a winning position more often than not. And the problem is these new corporate structures and all this, these executives come in, they don't know anything about those kinds of talent relations because they're worried about what the next corporate earnings shows. That's how their jobs, that's how what they do is 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 defined but when a movie takes two years to get made and how much the how, how do you define that when you're looking at success in 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 four times a year and so it's it's just it's it's not it's not uh, uh it, the comparison is such a strange thing it's it's a different kind of business and i think as long as they take the attitude that all right what we need is great content that people want to come and buy from us. The same way that you were citing that Discovery has always looked for the talent, the shows that are being made. They're like, hey, man, if you guys know how to make these shows on time and on budget and you deliver them and they, they deliver the viewership that we need, more power to you. But one of the things about movie making is, man, everyone loves it's sexy to be involved in movie making. You get stars and premieres and Oscars and accolades and all this. And it's sexy and people can't resist you know, corporate guys from the corporate sector, they're like, ooh, I get to hobnob with Hollywood royalty. It becomes an intoxicating thing, but you have to keep your eye on the prize, man. You still have to make great movies, and that requires relationships with talent that want to work with your studio, and more importantly, your studio heads. And that's the only way they're going to succeed running Warner Brothers. I agree. And it's going to be interesting to see, too, as things progress. Again, remember, guys, this process is probably because I think the I think the Warner Brothers AT&T merger took two years to finalize, like yeah. between when they made the deal and when it got its final clearance from the FCC and all that kind of stuff. I think it was like two. Now, that was a little bit longer than normal. But, you know, it's a lot of people I see asking in the live chat, well, what does this mean for the new Superman movie or what does this mean for the upcoming you know, Suicide Squad. And what does it mean for this? Okay, so basically this. Until this thing is finalized, much like Fox continued operating after the deal was announced until it was made final and the execution of the deal happened, Fox just kept on business as normal. 
we are going to see Warner Media continue on business as normal. Until this deal is finalized and gets its final clearance, like the deal has, the agreement's been made, but now they got to get it past all sorts of clearances. That process could take anywhere from six months to two years. In that time, Jason Kalar, the CEO of Warner Media, will continue running Warner Media, and that includes HBO Max and Warner Brothers Studios and all that kind of stuff. So they are going to continue on. So, Rob, unless a miracle happens, and like the FCC comes through and says, and you know, the Discovery shareholders ratify it, the FCC's green, you know, green lights it and gives it its stamp of approval all within like two months. Nothing is going to happen to Suicide Squad. Nothing is going to happen with the new Superman movie. All that's Black Adam is still getting made. It's all going to be business as normal for Warner Brothers until this thing is finally executed. But um, once it does, whatever isn't already in production becomes a question mark, Rob, because now it's going to be up to the new CEO to decide with his new generals that he puts in place. Uh, it's going to be interesting too, Rob, to see how many entertainment executives from Netflix, from Paramount, from Disney, from Sony may be looking to jump ship and join this new company, but it's going to change then. How do you see it? Well, there's a brand new story that just broke in the New York Times. It says Jason Killar, the Warner Media chief, is said to be negotiating his exit. Jason yeah. Killar has hired a legal team to negotiate his departure as chief executive of Warner Media, according to two people briefed on the matter. AT&T, which owns Warner Media, said on Monday that it had agreed to spin off the division. Mr. Killar was kept in the dark about the deal until recent days, the people said, speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss private conversations. Um, I think that's the, the fact that these mergers are happening and nobody knows this is part of the problem. You know, you come in and there's people that uh, who have long time because John movies take a long time to get made. And when you decide to green light a movie and pull the trigger on a studio film, you're looking at a two year commitment of, of manpower, people power and resources and, mo and money. And so these are things that are in process and you're, you're disrupting that. And now the head of the studio is negotiating his exit. If he bails like quickly before this transition is made, or maybe he'll have to stick around what have you done to the sit? What have you done to everything that you already have that's being made now? You know, Jason Killar, if you watch him on social media, he was really excited to be at Warner Brothers. And I read an article. He walks around the studio a lot and just meets people, says hello, introduces himself, asks what they're doing. What are your jobs? Like, how, what are you working on now? And he's he, he gives people tours. He knows where all the different things were shot and which which movies were shot in which soundstage. He really wanted to be at Warner Brothers. And and to see this going on, I mean, obviously it'll shake out the way it does. But this is, I, I it's going to be, again, you already have HBO Max on shaky ground. We're, we're halfway into the year. Well, not even the halfway point where that strategy that he, that Toby Emmerich suggested of day and date releases with HBO Max and, and, um, uh, theaters, some of it has worked, some of it hasn't. I mean, Warner brothers is not exactly as a studio is not exactly on, um, let's call it solid ground. So this is really going to be disruptive for, I think the studio for at least, like you said, the next couple of years. Yeah. Now get this was. This was in the AT&T article yesterday. The new company will be run by David uh, Zaslav, 60, a media veteran and longtime chief executive of Discovery, casting doubt 
uh, on the future yet again of the top ranks of Warner Media. Jason Kalar, 50, who was hired to run AT&T Media Group only last year, could lose his job. And of course, it looks like now that it is official that he's at some point going to have to step away and stuff. But Rob, I mean, under Jason Kalar, let's look at what's happened with Warner Media. They have, first of all, completely evaporated their relationship with talent and filmmakers. They've yeah. completely destroyed their relationship with talent. Under Jason Kalar, you've got guys like Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, other filmmakers coming out and say, this is the worst company in the world. This is not how you do business, blah, blah, blah. Their partners like Legendary and other financiers, they've totally burned their bridges and made, you know, created adversarial relationships. So that has been a complete and utter disaster for them. Secondly, they completely botched the launch of HBO Max. H- yeah. I love HBO Max. I, I I love it. I love it. I think it's great, but they botched the launch of it, and they are so far behind the numbers. Now, they'll put out different official numbers, but Rob, you and I both know for a fact that the people inside the halls of Warner Media, we know that their expectations were much, much higher than what they got. They botched that. There was a lot of discussion and whispers going around of some creative decisions that were made that did not sit well with the board of Warner Media nor with the shareholders of Warner Media. Um, they weren't so big about the way they've been in the news. They weren't happy with the way the whole Snyder situation was handled. They weren't happy with the way uh, a lot of different PR things. I mean, listen, I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. You never want to see anybody losing their job. But I mean, it feels like under Kalar, it has been one storm to the next. And I... You know, when I read that he, his jeopardy, his job could be in jeopardy moving forward. I was thinking if I'm David Zaslav, the new leader of this new company, I, I don't think I would keep Jason Kalar around. I don't know, Rob, how do you feel about that? I, you know, as much as I just pointed out that, that he seems like a really good guy, enthusiastic about, about the business. Uh, it just doesn't, what, what's happened during this transitional phase, the fact that it was called, as we've talked about HBO max. I think was the most damaging thing they could have done because it created unbelievable confusion amongst people that already subscribe to various HBO platforms. And, and, and how does this become new? So if they wanted to attract new people, they didn't even fall back on the Warner brothers name, which I think was a big mistake. By the way, I'm looking at a, a CNBC real time stock tracker, both AT&T shares and discovery shares are up. AT&T yes, is up 4.53% and Discovery is up 16%. So apparently the street feels that this is a good move. Um, I, I, I think you're right, John. I mean, you can't, you can't just take somebody who is, who's been running, say Hulu and running it as uh, the head, a CEO, and then bring them over to a company that's actually making movies. That's what the job is and expect them. You can't just plug in the heads of these corporations to understand certain other businesses. Everybody thinks they can do it. And on paper, it's like, look at how much experience this person has. But if they don't know the movie business, if they don't understand that so much of movie making and television is about relationships, people have to know and what people don't really get. It is kind of, it's not just what you know, it's who you know, but it's also who is pleasant to work with? You know, you can't just put throw people together to make movies. The people that make movies together, like Steven Spielberg, Janusz Kaminski has been shooting his movies since Schindler's List. You know, and 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 Michael Kahn has been editing his movies, and and uh, uh, John Williams has been scoring his movies for over you know forty years. And people that are really successful in the movie business work with the same people over and over again because you have to trust in their abilities 
in order to deliver what you need delivered because movie making is a collaborative art. And anytime you work with somebody that lets you down, the entire chain is broken. And you can't just bring in somebody that looks good on paper and, oh, this guy looks impressive or this because that's not how it works in Hollywood. You know, filmmakers need to have executives at the very top, like a Christopher Nolan and a, and a Denis Villeneuve, who take their calls and they can trust them to have what's what's best in mind for the movies. And both filmmakers, when Warner Brothers did this thing where, oh, well, suddenly Tenet, we're going to use that. We're going to help it, hope it opens theaters. And I know that 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 uh that Christopher Nolan wanted that to happen. But then when they moved Dune and you don't even talk to the director who's still working on the movie, what yeah. does that do? What does that do with the executive relationship with the talent? It doesn't do anything good. No, it does not. And and that's part of the reason why Rob, I, I feel some enthusiasm about this new move because they need to fix these relationships with talent and everything yep. that I have heard from discovery and all the various networks that have worked with it from, you know, HGTV and, and onward is that the talent and the, the producers of the content love working for this company. And if, if Zaslav can do the same thing that Bob Iger did, you know, when Bob Iger came in, he was like, okay, first things first, I need generals who can run certain areas, right. And he brings in an Allen horn. If Zaslav can do that, if he can now step in Wouldn't and bring Wouldn't it be funny him, if that's what he does? He literally brought in Alan Horn. <laughs> he brings in Alan Horn. Like, Alan Horn's like, no, 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 man, I'm retired. And like, yeah, but I'm going to make it rain for you for a little while. Why don't you come in for a couple of years? That's how they got, that's how Disney got him out of retirement, from running Warner Brothers. Or, or better yet, Bob Iger. <laughs> or Bob Iger. Well, Bob Iger could probably buy and sell Zaslav a few times yeah, over. still, like, hey, why not? You know, um, it's, or it's great. Feige. Or here, Kevin, here's you go. <laughs> Take here's jump back that dr dump truck full of German Nazi gold up I mean, to this place. Here he you go. Do it, but no. you know. <laughs> hey, everybody's got a price for the million dollar rent. By the way, Michael Gardner sends in several really big super ch uh, super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, Michael, so much. He's like sent in a ten, a twenty, and a fifty dollar tip. Thanks, man. Appreciate oh, that so much. That's very nice. Thanks and for thank you for the channel. Thank you, dude. Appreciate that. Um, but that's why I think this is. A positive thing. So just to highlight again, everybody, here's the basics of what has happened. If you're just joining us late, here's the basic gist of it, okay? What we have here is a situation where AT&T, who had owned Warner Media, has now divested itself of Warner Media. It is no longer going to be the owner of Warner Media. It currently is until all the approvals are done, but they have struck a deal that Discovery has paid $43 billion for Warner Media away from AT&T for the purposes of merging Discovery and Warner Media into one brand new company whose ownership will comprise of 71% of AT&T shareholders, not AT&T the company, the individual shareholders, and the shareholders of Discovery will now be the shareholders of this brand new company that they do not have a name for yet. Jason Kalar, the CEO of Warner Media, is not going to be around once this deal is finalized and everything is put into place. And the head of Discovery, David Zaslav, is going to be the new head of this company. And there's still a lot more to be seen. And bottom line is what this should mean for all the projects on the go right now at Warner Media, it should be business as usual. They are probably going to proceed and move on with all the, the movies they have planned. 
and you keep on doing that like Fox did until everything is finalized and executed, probably somewhere between a year to two years from now, Rob, is my guess. So anyway, Rob, this again, you can't exaggerate how big of a deal this is. This thing is huge. Huge. Any, any, any final thoughts on this? Well, I mean, look, I think the future, you know, as a, as a fan of science fiction dystopian films, I think back to the 1975 original version of Rollerball, where the entire planet was run by corporations. And what they did was they created Rollerball to sort of placate the masses. The ad line for the movie was, in the future, wars will no longer exist, but there will be Rollerball. I kind of see that <laughs> happening. I, I, I kind of see that happening with movies and these, uh, as we have larger and larger and larger conglomerates. I mean, I see one of the dangers is that, you know, they're going to control CNN. You know, this this Discovery Warner Brothers merger and and you end up with like what happened with Fox News. Fox News certainly has a political bent. I hope that doesn't I hope a political ideology does not infect the overall company that that turns it into something that has all of these movies are going to have a certain agenda. I hope that we can still have the diversity of entertainment so we get all different kinds of. Of, of of entertainment. That's the only downside. I, I you know, the dystopian sci-fi fan in me is like, well, uh-oh, you know, what if they decide to say, for instance, push a certain political ideology that goes from CNN through the Discovery Channel uh, movies? Yeah, but or, Discovery's like, never really been known for that. Like, no, no, nothing I in know, Discovery's know, history has ever now, shown that. But now they haven't, they've got all these things together. And I'm just saying, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But, you know, the dystopian sci-fi fan in me does. I just, these larger and larger conglomerates that are overseeing more and more media, what I want to be able to see is I want to be able to see the kind of diversity of storytelling, the kind, like, I want to be able to see science fiction movies and horror movies and political thrillers and dramas and, and uh, docudramas. I want to be able to see the kinds of movies Warner Brothers has always put out, so many different kinds of films over their very storied history and i hope that continues under this new regime i put this out on twitter last night i'll say it again you're going to see it justice league 2 is going to feature the property brothers and chip and joanna Gaines as four as the four of the new members of the justice league <laughs> i'm telling you it's going to happen it's what's going to happen and guy fietti the diners drivers and got drives guy he's going to be the new penguin you're going to make him penguin in the new thing it's all coming together up quite listen honestly guys I know we've talked about this at length, but we could go on for two more hours talking about this and breaking it down. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to discuss here again. Again, AT&T has finalized a deal, although the deal won't be executed for some time, but they finalized a deal that they are divesting themselves of Warner Media. Discovery is paying them $43 billion for it to merge in, and they're going to form a brand new company with its own set of shareholders and its own CEO, going to be run by the guy there. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this whole move? I'll be honest with you. It's been disastrous under AT&T. There have been good things. Some good things have happened, absolutely. But overall, when you go down the, the, the checklist, it's been a disastrous thing. I think this is good news for Warner Media. It could end up being a big disaster too, but for now on the outside, I think this looks good. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down, 
Let's go over and start taking your live comments and questions here for the remaining of the show, shall we? Once again, if you want to send in a live question or comment, simply use the tip link in the description of this video. You can click on it there or enter it in at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show, if it's appropriate, of course. And of course, you are supporting the channel as you do it. And all of us here, thank you guys for that support. All right, let's get on over here and start taking your guys' question, shall we? That's not your questions. Let me see if I can get this fixed. <laughs> because that wasn't your questions at all. If I turn that off, will that work? That works. Now we're back to where we should be. Sorry for the uh, the technical glitch there. Okay, Scott Brown writes, uh, you don't like the ex-actor and ex-role question, but this is more me just getting the guy's name out there. Uh, Soap, uh, dear issue. I think this guy would, would make a fantastic Superman. Uh, he's from gangs of London and, and his house. He's very talented and just has a noble quality about him. Well, here's the thing. And by the way, uh, super male, uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks super male. Um, here's the thing. You don't know that he'd make a good Superman because once you read a Superman script, he might be a good fit for it. He might be a terrible fit for it. So what you're saying is he would make a great Superman for the Superman you have in your head. But that's why I never go to that. Rob, I'm not familiar with this guy. I've never watched, um, what's it called? Gangs of London and His House. I'm not familiar with these shows. Are you familiar with any of these or this actor in particular? He's a, and His House, it's a horror film that's on Netflix that's very surprising. He's really good. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I think he has a certain quality to him. I think he could play a really great Superman. But again, it really it depends on what the director's vision for this is and what is Ta-Nehisi Coates' script, where does it go? And and uh, I think we can only base casting on the material, so we don't really know what that is yet, but I would leave it up to to the director to make that casting choice. All right, next up, uh, N N2A writes, one of three. About the Bob Chapek question from yesterday, which would have been Friday's show, uh, leaving aside uh, the creative versus corporate discussion for a bit, if I were a major investor or board member at Disney, my only question uh, would be why? Uh, what problem does this corporate restructuring remedy? I would understand if what Iger did wasn't successful or if after a few years at the helm, Chapek decides it's time to make some changes uh, to the structure. However, uh, none of those have happened. It seems that ego is taking a front seat in the decision-making process at Disney and cutting off one's nose to spite its face uh, is a more preferable alternative to the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, one of the things that I'll say about that is... You have to recognize, because you know, look, I made a big deal about this. I do think it could potentially be a big deal. But Rob, listen, it's not all doom and gloom, right? Like, we're not going to see the immediate impact of the leadership change for at least a couple of years. Uh, on top of that, in those preceding years, Bob Chapek very well could reverse some of these decisions and everything could be fine. I am just, as a Disney fan, very, very concerned about these changes Bob Chapek has made. And I, we talked about that on the show the other day. I don't have to go back into it again. But one thing I will say in their defense, Rob, is that this is not just a normal transition. This isn't just a normal, regular okay, the time of the one CEO is done. Now we just transfer everything over. We are in the midst of a major shift in the entire landscape of the industry. Yeah. This was a change that took place during a global pandemic 
Well, Disney was launching a platform that they quite frankly see as the future of their entertainment arm being Disney Plus that Bob Iger is the one who has developed and built this thing for years. So while I'm not saying that that justifies Bob Chapek's decisions to move away from the philosophical principles that Bob Iger put in place, what I am saying is we can't just look at it like another transition. This is a transition in leadership happening during a transition in an entire industry. So it will look a little bit different. Doesn't mean I'm not still concerned. I am, Rob. But but to me, you, we cut them a little bit of slack because I don't know. How, how do you address that? What would you say to that? Well, I think you, you put it well. Um, although I will say this, the transition, the idea that they were going to put a lot of a Disney distribution higher up on the food chain in terms of the creatives, like the, the guy who I forget his name, who ran Hulu, they were able to be the people that would deliver the profit and loss statements. Yes. Uh, they, and they would get the glory for that. And now the people that work in distribution are going to be able to supersede that. And I think, you know, the people that work in distribution only distribute what they're given by the content creators and the people that greenlit that content. And I, I think that that's kind of a mistake. I, I, I think that there is, look, <laughs> the one thing, content creators are the one, you can't figure that necessarily out. There's no spreadsheet that actually can effectively plot the chart or the progress of how good your content is going to be and whether or not people are going to watch it. It's, it's undefinable. You can't, there's, there's, there's alchemy involved in making good movies and good television. And sometimes people either respond or they don't. And I think that's where corporate interests and the interests of creators, uh, it's that sort of twilight zone of corporations want to be able to control all these things and know what to expect. And there's no way to do that. So they keep trying to figure out ways of doing that. How can we figure out our, our new quarterly report earnings? How can we make the best of, of these numbers? And it's a place where there's always going to be pushback, where the creators are going to fight their corporate minders or maybe not fight, but there might be people that are disappointed or whatever. And I see that Disney has added more to that with putting the distribution and, and, and adding more corporate culture between the creatives and the filmmakers. Now, here's the thing. You still have these different fiefdoms within Disney, like Pixar, like Lucasfilm, like Marvel. And I think they'll be pretty much left alone. At least certainly Marvel will, as long as they keep delivering. Um, but I think it might change a little bit, but why fix something that ain't broke? Disney's been doing pretty well under Bob Iger. Why would you want to change it that much? But then again, when new regimes come in, they want to change things and make that regime their own. They never want to be seen. Bob Chapek doesn't want to be seen as Bob Iger number two. He wants to be seen as Bob Chapek. Yeah. And listen, again, I knew we would see this, but I'm going to address this quickly here. Uh, in our live chat, I, I already see some misunderstanding here. Uh, for instance, Cisco in our live chat is saying, uh, it is a merger they did not sell. Yes, they did sell. Let's be very, very clear on this. Discovery paid AT&T $43 billion in cash and stock. AT&T has annexed or has agreed to annex Warner Media off itself. It will no longer be the owner of Warner Media. Warner Media then and Discovery will then merge together to create a brand new company that AT&T has no ownership in. It is a brand new company and the 
shareholders of this company, of this brand new company, will form a new group of shareholders that is comprised 71% of AT&T shareholders, not AT&T, AT&T shareholders. The shareholders and the companies are two different things. And the rest of Discovery shareholders. So yes, it very much is a sale that leads to a merger. And so AT&T is no longer, they took a check for $43 billion or they will take a check for $43 billion and they will no longer be the owners in any way, shape or form of this new company. This new company will have its own set of shareholders comprised of people who are Discovery and AT&T shareholders, but it is its own new standalone company divested of anything to do with AT&T. Just want to be clear about that. I know this is going to be confusing, Rob, and I know a lot of people are going to get this confused for a while because I already see other outlets that are misrepresenting what's going on. They're saying, I'm seeing outlets false, like inaccurately reporting that AT&T will still own 71% of this company. That is not the case. The shareholders will own 71%, but just as those shareholders also own many other uh, shares in other companies as well. The shareholders are not the company. They are two different things. It's important to understand that. Anyway, let's move on here. Uh, Music Fan writes, Hey, John, I just watched the first episode of Halston on Netflix. I'm I'm not familiar with it. I don't have an opinion yet, but one of my favorite movies is Train Spotting with Ewan McGregor. Uh, um, Rent on Time, when I was clubbing, coming home at 5 a.m., love the music. And when I saw this advertised, uh, I had to watch it. It's probably not going to be great, but it's you and uh, it's you and rock and roll in the 60s. I think the man is 50 years old now. Should say hated the second one. Did not want to see a grown up Renton, uh, of course, from Train Spotting. A change from superhero stuff, which I do like. Best wishes, JC. Well, Rob, you and I were just talking about. Uh, Halston, I I have not watched this thing, but you have been watching it. What are your thoughts on it? I watched it, and um, you know it's a Ryan Murphy production through and through. I thought Ewan McGregor was great, but I thought the show is incredibly superficial. And ultimately, it I thought, look, I love shows about eighties excess. Give me like, give me all kinds of crazy promiscuous sex. Give me cocaine. Give me Studio Fifty Four. I'm in. I'll watch it. But this show, which it does do a good job of showing us these things, I thought it was really superficial. And you're dealing with, you know, a fashion icon of the 60s and 70s, and you get very little insight into the man himself, what drove him, other than the fact that he came from an abusive household and they keep flashing back to the same situation. I mean, there's a scene in the movie, John, where his mother dies and he goes to his mother's funeral. The whole thing is set up that he has this relationship where he became sort of his mother's savior through fashion. And maybe that's what led him. And you only ever see the same scene of him as a boy with his mother and this one hat that he made for her. And I'm like, you got to give me more than this. And it's based on a book. And while I watched all five episodes and I really liked some of the direction, and I will say this, the music was incredible. The main score who was written? I'm not. I haven't looked up to see who actually scored the movie, but the song, the needle drop, the the source cues, and all the scoring was amazing. Please, somebody put out a soundtrack album that has both the original score and all the songs they use because they impeccably done. But the rest of it, besides you McGregor, and McGregor's performance and some other people that were in the in the show, the woman who plays Liza Minnelli is a revelation. She's incredible. But the rest of the show was really kind of let me down. I'm like, I got no insight into it. I, I I felt like it covered ground I've seen a million times before, and uh, it left me disappointed. But Ewan McGregor 
was amazing. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Jay Bling writes, regarding the Disney situation and perhaps other situations like it, it boggles the mind that after so many years of trial and error with business processes, there always has to be someone to come along and try to fix what ain't broke. Why F it up? Again, I, I mean, I agree, Jay Bling. I agree. But again, understand that this isn't a normal situation. It's not like they're just continuing on business as normal. The entire industry and the company is in kind of the throes of transition. And so there's going to be new things that need to be done. I just don't think you abandon the principles of how you do business um, in the midst of needing to make fundamental changes to reflect the changes going on in the industry, I don't think you need to change your principles. And that's the main thing that concerned me was that not, not so much, you know, who reports to who and blah, 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 but the abandoning of the principles that Bob Iger had put in place that had worked for them for so many years. But again, we cut them a little bit of slack because it is an interesting upheaval time. But anyway, point well made, Jay. All right, James L.H. writes, Hey, John, one of two. So Cineworld finally reopens on Wednesday. Nice. Before the end of the following week, I plan to have seen Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, Spiral, and For Those Who Wish Me Dead. I've managed to avoid spoilers, even though I watch the John Campus show every day. And you know what, John? I don't even care whether they're good or bad. I'm just looking forward to getting away from my sofa, sitting in a dark theater, and having my senses blasted with all the sound and visuals that you can't replicate at home. James, uh, Rob, I think James just completely like kind of summed it up for us. And let me ask you again, because you are like fresh, fresh off of your first time back in a movie theater in over a year that you went and did this Saturday. What were some of the, the things you were feeling and thinking as you were walking back into a cinema again? Boy, well, first it was relief. You know, I, you know, it's funny. You don't really consider the actual cinema, like the environment, uh, you get in your seat and you sit down and you have a relationship with the screen. But to me, you know, and I walked in and I, I looked up and I really noticed the sloping seats, you know, and there were people already sitting there. And I realized, you know, I didn't know any of these people. And, and, and you know, you never know people unless you go with friends. And the fact that I was sitting amongst strangers and we all desired to have this experience together, it really reminded me that, you know what? Movies are about people coming together to experience something in a group. They're all there. They're all supportive. It's an inherently optimistic act to walk into a movie theater because you want to be entertained. You're there because you know, or at least hope, you know that this movie is going to be great. And you want to have this experience. And you want to have this experience. You want to share it with other people, even though you don't know them. And so I was keenly aware of being in this environment and like, I have missed this, you know, I've missed being in this place, this, this inherently joyful place. Like nobody goes into a movie theater and thinks, eh, screw this. I don't want to be here. You go into a movie theater cause you want to be there. You're excited to be there. You got a smile on your face or at least a smile on your soul. Cause that's why you've gone in. And I, I'd missed that feeling. I didn't even know that I, there was that feeling to miss, but walking back in, I was like, my God, God, I've missed this. I mean, I, my whole life, no matter what happened in my life, John, walking into a movie theater was always a, a spiritually joyous experience. And I hadn't had that in 15 months. And I didn't even realize that my soul had been missing that. But I felt it when I sat down. And then when the trailers started to play, and like I told you, one of my favorite things about Army of the Dead, 
the gunfire that well, I don't know what they did. They, you know, a lot of times you hear generic gunfire in movies, the gunfire, the, the, the large heavy caliber weapons exploding in the surround channels. I'm like, man, I've missed this. Army of the Dead has some of the best gunfire noises. Kudos to the sound design team. Cause I was like, hell yeah, turn that shit up, son. And I was thinking about John Schnepp cause I, you know, I was there on my actual birthday, but I was like, man, it would have been nice to see any movie with John Schnepp and he would have come out, you know, oh my God, wasn't it great to be back in the theater? I'm so sweaty. You know? Yeah. It was great. That's I loved a, it. Uh, it's, uh, it's and so, tonight, good, John, so good to be tonight. back in those theaters again. Tonight. Justice for Han tonight, bro. Very oh. excited. I, I, I'm so excited about going to see Fast 9 tonight. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's keep moving on here. James LH writes, John, I see the return of the topic of 20 to 30 minute ads and trailers. In the UK cinemas, I remember queuing for a ticket, then for food, then having to wait to go in to get a good seat. So ads helped when I would be stuck in a queue, but with uh, with two online, but with online booking, there's no need to get there early for a good seat. When I book up online, my e-ticket shows date, time, row, and seat. They could easily include on the website and e-ticket screen open time. Uh, then movie start time. To me, it would show more, more transparency. Yeah, I, I've said that for a long time. Like, I... If you're the movie theater industry, you need to make decisions to give the people who come to the theaters the best experience that you can. The way you give them the best experience possible is not by making them sit through a half hour of commercials. I don't care if the commercials are trailers. I love trailers, but 30 minutes is too much. 25 minutes is too much. It's too much. Now, Rob, I've always said that one of the things that you could do to mitigate that is to say, okay, showtime is seven o'clock. The actual movie starts at 731. Like if you did that, that to me, that fixes the problem. Because what is kind of deceptive, and Rob, we talked about this in my documentary as well. What is a little bit deceptive is saying, you know, movie at seven. Except the thing is, I get to the theater and there is no movie at seven. There's commercials at seven. And then there's commercials at 705 and yeah. more at 710 and more at 715 and more at 720 and more at 725. And if I'm lucky, my movie that they said would start at seven o'clock actually starts around 730 if I'm lucky. But yeah, I do like Rob, the idea. And by the way, Steve, uh, Steve Panon, uh, Panon sends in like a $20 tip in the super chat discussion. Thank you so much for that, Steve. I appreciate the support, man. Um, but Rob, I think that one little thing include, Hey, showtime seven movie start time. And you actually, at least that would be more transparent and more honest. I don't know, Rob, do you think that could fix that problem or do you think that's not enough? Well, I, I think it could fix the problem because I have to tell you, uh, you know, one of the things I'm going to really miss about the Arclight is there were no commercials and they would show three trailers and that was it. Three trailers, bang. You know, and, and you knew you knew that kind of rhythm of you're going to get three trailers and a movie. Uh, even at Army of the Dead, they showed a lot of trailers. And I'm like, it's too much because I, I'm, I'm now thinking about all five or six or seven trailers we saw. And I'm like, I don't want my mind to be full of all of that information before the movie at hand comes into play. Cause then I'm like, huh, I'm contemplating these movies and I don't like that. You know, I don't like to have my mind filled up with commercials and trailers. I want to focus on the, the, the task at hand, which is to watch the movie that I've come to watch. And if there's too much visual information or things I'm b before the movie, it dilutes the experience for me. And I, 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 because I usually only go to the arc light when I see, 
movie theater ads, you know, commercials or trailers that are go on and on and on. And I love trailers. It really becomes annoying to me. I'm like, enough. I don't, I want to settle into my seat and get in the mindset of clearing my mind of all this, this detritus and the cacophony of everything else and concentrate on the movie I've come to see. And I don't like it when I'm, I'm filled with all kinds of stimuli before the film starts. It bums me out, dude. I agree. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Max Vinicius. Uh, Aruda writes, Hey, John, question. I know you aren't an investor expert, but I'm starting to learn about it. I wanted to invest in Disney, but with the Bob 2.0, this Bob Chapek, dismantling the system, would it be bad to invest in Disney? 2.0 might be the downfall of Marvel. Thank you. Listen, I am I am not a financial advisor. I am not a, a stocks trading advisor in any sense of the imagination. All I could tell you is what I would personally uh, do or not do. I would personally not buy Disney right now. Me personally, I wouldn't buy Disney right now. Uh, a report just came out about us watching Rob. I don't know if you saw this saying that Disney plus just missed their latest set of target numbers. They fell short. That's been all over the news. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of, until we see how the Bob Chapek reorganization and structure really settles in personally, I wouldn't buy Disney stock, but that could be totally the wrong thing. Maybe the right thing is to buy tons of Disney right now. I just don't know. Rob, I've, I've got a ton of money in Dogecoin right now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm buying, I, I bought Dogecoin. Okay. Fortun <laughs> fortunately, I bought it pretty cheap. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Let, let me just say, ask you this, Rob. I hand you $10,000 right now. And I say, take this and go and invest it in something. Are you putting any of it in Disney right now, yourself personally? No. I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 again, I mean, maybe if Disney stock went down more or something, I would, but, but I think that there's so much turmoil going on, uh, now that I wouldn't, I'm not enough of a, well, I'm not an investor at all. I'm not a savvy. I mean, I know less about investing than I do about sports. <laughs> so that tells you, uh, something, but, but I, if you gave me $10,000, I probably, I probably put that in Dogecoin and see if it went up a little bit and, uh, then sell. You know, um, but but uh, we'll see. I, I think, like you said, we got to watch it and see where it's going to go. Are they going to stay? Is it going to stabilize out? Where's the new Disney going to be in a year? We don't even know where if Marvel, if the Marvel movies are going to are going to um, perform. You know, we've got three Marvel films coming up for the end of the year and Spider-Man. So where's that going to leave the company? Right. I will say, OK, so this week, though, right now, uh, as I look at it, Disney's shares have dropped this week from $182 a share uh, by $13. They've dropped down to, as of right now, the shares are $169. So this week they've dropped $13. So yeah, I, I again, I'm not saying I'd never buy Disney, but I just probably, with everything going on right now, I probably wouldn't buy Disney right now. But again, I am no financial advisor, so what the hell do I know? All right, next up, uh, Randall D. Cunningham writes, I finally went out to see The Father. I love that movie. Uh, I finally went out to see The Father, and oh my God, it shook me to my core. I went in ex expecting to see world-class performances from Anthony Hopkins, who won the Academy Award, asterisk. Uh, but I left the theater having watched a true masterpiece. Watching that film was such a visceral experience. And you know, Rob, I, I have not had to experience in my own life the things that have go, that go on in the father with Olivia Coleman and uh, and Anthony right. Hopkins, but 
I mean, it's still for me, it's a powerful, incredible movie. And we have heard a lot of people write into our shows, Rob, saying, I saw The Father, and let me tell you, I went through that with my grandfather, or I went through that with my parent, or I went through this, whatever. And like talking about how truly it shook them um, and and how it moved them and how they just seem to be able to capture those experiences that people in that circumstances have. Rob, have you heard from a lot of people talking about that movie? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not not in terms of experience, in terms of having it something that they they personally relate to. But I've heard a lot of people talking about how great it is. You know, it comes out, I think it comes out this week on Blu-ray, and I did order it. So I haven't seen it yet, so I believe I it does arrive this week. Wait, wait to see Hopkins' performance, man. I can't, I mean, I can't oh, wait. So good. Okay, next up. Uh, Junior Breedlow writes, Hey, John, long time, first time. Thanks so much for writing in, Junior. Uh, my question is, why doesn't anyone do Hollywood Powerless anymore? I used to enjoy an Entertainment, Weekly and, Entertainment Weekly and Variety's annual Powers lists, but I haven't seen them do it in recent years. Surely the order has changed with streaming. What gives? I don't know. I, I remember those. And, Rob, I, I get a kick out of Powerless. I totally do. Uh, including, you know, Hollywood power structures and blah, blah, blah. But... I also remember those articles getting a lot of criticism um, saying you're glorifying. Uh, I, I mean, they would get a lot of criticism, people saying, oh, you're glorifying, you know, power and you're celebrating us. I mean, I don't know what some people's issues for it were, but slowly but surely I started to see these powerless. Like who are the, the most powerful executives in Hollywood? Who are, which are the most powerful, you know, directors in Hollywood, which producers wield the most influence and power overall. I mean, I love those things, but they got some criticism, I guess, and they haven't done them. I miss them too, but I don't expect to see them making a return. Uh, Rob, what do you think about that? Did you used to like those? I used to get a kick out of them, but I don't know if they were accurate or not. What did you think? I, I did get a kick out of them, but like you said, accuracy, were they truthful? Eh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we'll start but, doing it, Rob. You and me will start putting out the, the power list every week. Yeah, there I mean, I, look, I can't deny that give me – I love the power lists that I would read in various magazines, like, you know, Vanity Fair and would always have those kinds of things or entertainment, you know, weekly did, obviously. But uh, what what I did like about those lists is there were people that I wasn't aware of. You know, you're like, oh, this person is at this place. And I mean, I don't know how that would help me to know these things, but I felt like at least to know of them, you never know when you're in a meeting with somebody and somebody brings something up and you're like, oh yeah, now I've read this list. So I know who this person is. And, and that was what I always liked about those lists. Is it just, cause I have an interest in the entertainment business always have, even if I'm never going to come across people and what I'm doing, but I still like to know because it offers me some kind of insight into how the business might work and what kind of people are currently running it, which I think is helpful, especially with what we do. Right. And to quote Castlevania season four, there's a difference between strength and power. They are two different things. Uh, that was actually a really good part of Castlevania season four. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, junior, uh, Breedlow also writes, uh, what happened to the days of the million dollar spec script back when a Shane Black or uh, Joe Aceras would write a long kiss goodnight or basic instinct for two to four million bucks a pop? Why do we never hear of stories like that anymore? Is the spec script market dead? No, the spec script market is not dead. And Rob, I, I, look, I couldn't tell you the titles off the top of my head right now, but over the past year, you and I have done several stories about there was a bidding war by four different studios over this script and 
so-and-so won the bidding war and blah, blah. They still happen. Uh, yeah. But just, you know, not a lot in the entertainment world the past 15 months, 16 months have really been there. But these bidding wars for these types of scripts, look, the million-dollar spec script has always been the rare thing. Yeah, It's always been the rare thing. Most of the time, spec scripts, when they do get picked up, which is very, very rare anyway, but when spec scripts get picked up, it's usually for a much more modest sum of money. But these things still happen. The bidding war still happen. Uh, Rob, I know I've sold, you know, uh, I've sold options on scripts before. I never had any of them made except the ones that I made myself. But um, have, have you ever been a part of that where you, you're, you're shopping it around a script to different things and having to take different meetings? You've experienced that before, yes? Yeah, I have. I, you know, I have. There was a project that I was involved with that I wrote. It was a book adaptation I wanted to make after I made Free Enterprise in the early aughts called Nevermind Nirvana. And I got into a couple of places where I really thought it was going to get made. And um, unfortunately, you know, it didn't it, for various reasons. Uh, but yeah, it's always a good thing. The thing about now, John, though, is everybody is so risk averse that the reasons you don't hear about the big spec sales the way you used to is because everybody wants to make things that are either based on previous, previously existing IPs or something people already know, and they they're, they're, they 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 want to. There's less chances being taken on spec scripts because remember, if you think about big spec script sales like Shane Black selling Long Kiss Goodnight or selling the biggest one I remember was The Last Boy Scout. That was like that first, I think it sold for 1.75 million. It was a huge deal Yeah, 30, 30 years ago. And, you know, I don't think, but that was for a movie that was, a you know, a 50 to $60 million, even less studio picture. And now the studio movies, the studios that were buying spec scripts, they're all making these tentpole IPs where they're spending $100, $200 million on these movies in the hope of making a billion dollars. So the studios themselves aren't really looking to make these spec scripts for 50 million or 60 million dollars as much as they they used to uh, because the business has changed. So maybe streamers will pick up these things, but you never hear about it the way you used to in the business. All right. Next up, we've got the Image Wizard writes, hey, John and Rob, love your show. Thank you so much. This Disney news makes me sick to my stomach so much so I had to pause watching the show and watch it in two parts. Please don't kill my dreams, Bob. Paycheck. JPEG. Yeah, I, I, again, listen, I am worried. As a Disney fan, I am worried, and I am concerned by a number of things that we've seen. That doesn't mean that they can't change directions on a few things. Listen, Rob, part of running, listen, I, obviously nothing near the size of a, of a real company like that, but I have run organizations with 10, 20, 30 employees. I have run these organizations, and you make changes, you pivot, like you, you try something, you try a new process. And if the process doesn't work and you recognize it, you pivot and you move to a new process. It is very possible that Bob Chapek may think that this is the best way to do things right now. Maybe starts recognizing and hearing from his lieutenants and generals that this certain things aren't working and maybe he pivots and then changes back to a Bob Iger thing. Maybe everything will be fine. I, and I don't say that facetiously, Rob, maybe everything will be fine. But yeah, the current set of situations, circumstances do worry me. I mean, and so let's let's see where they go from there, man. But yeah. Let's not overly let's not overly panic yet. Let's not overly panic yet. All right. Next up, BK Dan writes, John. Very rarely will I steer you away from a movie, but stay away from Raw Head Rex, nineteen eighty six. Positively, the worst eighty nine minutes of my life. 
I have uh, never heard of the movie. I don't know if you're familiar with it's, it, Rob. It's, yeah, it's a Clive Barker adaptation. It's a Clive a, Barker one? one of the, yeah, one of the stories that's in the Books of Blood. So I would say it is not – I wouldn't call it the worst thing. See, the funny thing is now when people say it's the worst thing I've ever seen, I'm like, you should watch Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know, go back a, go back a little further. Rawhead Rex was not impressive. Now, was <laughs> – was Meat Train not one of the short stories from the Books of Blood? No, it would. No, you're absolutely right. The Midnight okay. Meat Train and uh, Kitamura directed that. I like that movie. Bradley Cooper and Vin, uh, Vinny, um, Vinny Jones yep. were in that. I remember because at uh, one of my parties, you remember back, I used to throw these big parties at Comic-Con, and Clive Barker was at our party, and so was Bradley Cooper and Vinnie Jones. They were there as well because we were helping them promote uh, Midnight Meat Train. Yep. And I was very unfamiliar with Books of Blood, and I got to sit down over a drink with Clive Barker and talk about Midnight Meat Train. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. So I wasn't aware of that. I've never heard of this particular one, so thanks for putting that on my radar, BK. I will avoid that one. All right. Uh, the Shadesman writes, Hey, John, on Friday's show, someone mentioned the Jurassic World Velocicoaster at Universal Orlando. It's funny. I actually worked there. Oh, really? And I listened to that show while being at the attraction itself. Definitely a must ride if you ever come to Orlando. That's one of those serendipity moments, Rob. Like when you hear about something that you're actually at at that moment, that is great. And yeah, listen, I've never been to the Universal down in Orlando, but my wife has a couple of times and she's constantly trying to talk me into flying down there and going to, well, first of all, Disney there and Universal there. So maybe sometime this upcoming year, now that we're getting away from the, you know, Satan's nutsack of 2020, uh, maybe we'll try that out pretty, uh, pretty soon. Thanks for that, Shadesman. All right, next up. We've got Playmaker who writes, Hey, John, I'm curious if it comes down to some sort of friction between Chapek and Feige. Do you think Disney would let Feige walk? Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I get it. That is the first place we, we want to panic to, right? It's like, wait a minute. What does this mean for Kevin Feige? I mean, that's, that's obviously our first point of panic, right? There's no reason to believe right now that there's any issue, but hypothetically speaking, um, Disney has a CEO. When it comes to the operation of Disney, there is one main boss and that is Bob Chapek, the CEO. And if Bob Chapek as the CEO of the company decides to part ways with Kevin Feige, again, we're not saying that's going to happen. We're just talking theoreticals here then there's nobody else to, to appeal to. He's going to let Kevin Feige walk. Now, that might cost him his job six months later. That might, Maybe the shareholders and the board decide to get rid of Bob Chapek at that point. But when it comes to the daily ins and outs and the operation of the company and the daily operations, that's going to be a Bob Chapek decision. And if he decides to let Feige walk, that's what will happen. But I can't see, I can't see that happening, Rob. I mean, in fairy tale language, Kevin Feige, Rob, is the goose that lays the golden eggs. In other words, he bends over and shits out diamonds. <laughs> you don't let him go. I, I can't, I, I just, I can't see it happening. I cannot see it happening. They know what he means to that company. And I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him happy. But I don't know that, Rob. I mean, 
Bob Chapek's already do. We already heard that the head of FX is very unhappy with the way with the new systems and transitions. Variety reported that the other day that the head, the former head of Disney Entertainment, is very unhappy. Um, maybe Feige's unhappy, but I, I can't see that nuclear situation happening of of Kevin Feige up and walking. Maybe, but I I don't know. Rob, what do you what do you think about that? I, I look I. I can't see Kevin Feige leaving because they've got plans inside of plans inside of plans. And I think that Kevin Feige being the architect of this, he wants to see those plans to fruition. You know, everybody wants a challenge. And I think Kevin Feige did it with the Infinity Saga, 23 movies. He proved it. Now I think his new challenge is I'm going to do it again. Now I've got the extra. I've got the streaming shows. I've got movies. I no longer have my top tier. I don't have Iron Man. I don't have um, Captain America. And I think he's got all these other characters. I think in a way, he set himself up a creative challenge over the next decade to see if he can do it again. Because if he could, if he could parlay, I was watching um, a video about how the, the uh, Marvel's um, Phase 4 is not that exciting. And I think, I think that it, Kevin Feige is going to prove to all of us that no, no, no. It's a lot more exciting than you might think. Just wait and see. Yeah. And he's going to try and rebuild and do the same thing again. Because if he does the same thing again, I mean, that that's that's the most historic thing in all of cinema history. And then he'll go do something else. Because he can. <laughs> because I think it was like I did this once, and now the biggest challenge is I'm going to see if I can do it again. And now I've got the extra added benefit of television. I get to do all those things. And then once he's done it again, he's going to, He's going to uh, wipe his hands of, of Marvel and be done. And he will leave and go do something else that he wants to prove something to himself. Because that's what that's what people do. You know, they strive to achieve. And uh, I think that that's what he's doing now with phase four, five, and six. Let's call I, it. I have tried to find out what kind of contract does Feige have right now. Specifically, how how much longer is the current deal that Kevin Feige is under last? And I've never been able to find out. So I don't know if he's under contract for another five years. If that's the case, and there's no point in even discussing what happens for the next five years because he's under contract, maybe his contract expires in 24 months, in which case Disney better be starting to worry about what happens when the deal's done. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it transpires. By the way, Mandy's, uh, Mandy's Cabrales and uh, Jordan Saylor both said in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you for that, guys. Thank you so much for that and supporting our channel. All right. Last question we'll do with, with uh, Rob here. Sergeant Ward writes, Hey, John, you said changing the 45-day theatrical window back to 75 days is impossible. I, not impossible. It's just extremely unlikely. It's extremely unlikely. Uh, what is actually preventing that from happening? And if it did happen, why would that be? 45 days is bad in my opinion. So what has happened during the pandemic is the new standard theatrical release date, uh, the new standard theatrical window is now 45 days. It used to be roughly around 90, Rob. So for the, just for those of you who don't know what we're talking about when we say theatrical window, the theatrical window is the period of time from when the day a movie launches in movie theaters, how long a studio has to wait to be able to put it out on various home video avenues, Blu-ray, DVD, VOD, uh, streaming, whatever. So theoretically speaking, with some exceptions, 
classically, the traditional window has been about 90 days or three months. That once a movie launches in theaters, you have to wait at least 90 days until you can put that movie out on home video or streaming. Some people have tried to get that theatrical window shrunk to like 10 days or 15 days, but it looks like the industry has now settled on raw because Disney itself has now said that their movies like Shang-Chi and Eternals are going to have 45-day theatrical windows. They, it seems the industry has settled on that the new theatrical window is going to be 45 days. That is a little bit short to me, but still okay. I, I, I would have liked to have seen the move from a 90-day window to a 60-day window. I think that would have been better, but 45 isn't disastrous and 45 could work. Now, why does it become difficult then to go back to a longer window? It's think of it like this. Um, Once you start giving your employees uh, a raise, say you paid them $20 and now you pay them $30. It's next to impossible to, to revert back and go back to what you used to do. It's almost impossible to then go back down to $20 an hour. Um, it's very, very difficult to do. Once you take a step in a direction, you're kind of committed to that direction. And I think it would be nearly impossible to see that the theaters get the studios to agree to a longer theatrical window again. I think 45 is where it's at. It's probably going to be 45 for a while. I don't see it going back up. Rob, I don't know. What, what do you think could precipitate the theatrical window to go back up to like 60 days or 75 days or 90 days. I I don't see a way it could do it. How do you see it? Well, I really think it comes down to, you know, obviously money. Once we get out of COVID and, and uh, theaters are open and back the way they used to be, if they ever truly go back to the way they used to be, which I hope they do. If the theaters, if the theatrical runs are continuing to generate income, you don't want to leave that income on the table. And so if a movie like a, a big blockbuster comes out, a tentpole property, and it starts, it's performing in theaters really well, even 45 days in, they're going to say, well, we want the opportunity not to have to pull this out of theaters so we can let it play for 60 days or even up through 90. I always thought three months was a pretty good period of time because, you know, as we've talked about on the show, theatrical uh, releases, when they're successful, really add value to a product. Because yes. in the consumer's mind, it's like, wow, this movie was very successful. It, it, it's something like I want to buy or I want to rent or I want to pay for a download or whatever. The reputation of a film, it does have added value when it plays in theaters for a while and people talk about it, word of mouth and, and whatever. I think just sticking to a 45-day window doesn't give you enough leeway. But maybe they'll just leave that opportunity open if something is a wild runaway success. Like I've heard... I've heard the movie In the Heights that's coming out, the Lin-Manuel Miranda movie, it's, uh, is, is quite good, and people love it. And I think, well, what if it's a greatest showman situation where it might not open at number one, but word of mouth makes it turn into something that's a huge hit, and it's m- making money in theaters for 45 days, and they don't want to pull it because it's doing what the last showman or the greatest showman did and is making big, big, big money. And uh, if they had to pull it from theaters, I think that would be unfortunate. So it's going to be a money issue, I think. All right, Rob. Well, that uh, we've kept you over time here today. Thanks for being here. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online until tomorrow? Well, you can find me at a theater scene Fast 9 today. With That's you. right. <laughs> We're going to see that a little bit later tonight, buddy. Um, and then uh, you can find me on, on uh, Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. 
All right, dude. Thanks for being here. And I will see you in a couple of hours as we go oh, down yeah, to Burbank there that's to watch strong. some Fast and Furious. All right, dude. I'll see you in a few hours. Talk to you later. Have a good one, man. All right. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Okay. We still got some time. Let's get through as many of your questions that we still have remaining here as we can. Next up. Uh, we've got Ryan G writes, Hey John, I just finished Castlevania season four. It was great. Fantastic action and good story. Hope you and Rob watched the final season of Castlevania. I did watch the final season of Castlevania. Uh, pull, pull out these earphones now. I did watch the final season of Castlevania. Uh, I liked it. Um, I, it's the same things that I've loved about Castlevania since season one. Same things that are, I think are a little bit weak about it, but overall I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was pretty fun. The, uh, the whole, well, I don't want to give away the ending, uh, but you know, the thing with Dracula was pretty cool, uh, at the, without giving anything away. The little postscript, the little, uh, post-credit thing was pretty cool. Anyway. Uh, yes, I did watch it. I enjoyed it. And, uh, Let's see what they do with season five. There were some discussions that four would be it, but I don't think it will be. Anyway, next up, uh, Cutter Hale writes, uh, this weekend I saw Army of the Dead and Those Who Wish Me Dead both at the theater. Army of the Dead was fun, could have been shorter, but love the zombie twist. My favorite movie of the year so far was Nobody. I've seen it six times in theaters, but uh, that changed after I saw Those Who Wish Me Dead tonight. I love this movie. I was hooked from the start to finish with the writing was great. As always, the, the acting was great and had action and tension. A lady in my theater told me uh, that she hates uh, Angelina Jolie. And she thinks this was Jolie's best movie. The song that they played at the end had me crying. I love this movie. Best of the year so far. Did you get to see For Those Who Wish Me Dead? If so, love your thoughts. I've been watching you since I was a kid, 3 out of 3. Well, thank you so much for that, Cutter Hale. And yeah, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I did not love For Those Who Wish Me Dead. I didn't love it. I thought the performances were great. I thought the basic premise of the movie was very solid. Um, and I like the movie. I like it. Like in a thumbs up or thumbs down world, I'm a thumbs up. It's it's a thumbs up for me. I enjoyed it. But I did have several issues with the script. Um, I thought several things were far too convenient and far too coincidental. And the little plot holes were significant. It's like, wait a minute, that guy wouldn't do that. And that guy, yeah. I, to me, I think it's the weakest of the Tyler Sheridan movies. Again, not a bad film. Not a bad film. Uh, but I thought Jolie was great. I thought Bernthal was great. I thought uh, um, Nicholas Holt was great. I, I thought Littlefinger was great. I keep forgetting the actor who played Littlefinger, but I really like him. Uh, I thought he was great. But overall, yeah, didn't didn't love the movie. I, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I was just expecting better from Tyler Sheridan. All right, thanks for that, Cutter. I'm glad you enjoyed it that much, though, man. I'm glad you did. All right, Timothy writes, John, I just watched Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, and I'm floored. This film is incredible. Have you seen it? And if so, what are your thoughts? If you haven't, please make time to watch it. It's only an hour and a half, and it leaves HBO Max soon. I'm I'm thinking of a, I'm sure I'm thinking of a different movie. I'm sure I'm thinking of the different movie. What's it called again? Uh, sometimes, rarely, uh, sometimes, uh, always, never. All right, which one is this again? It is the one. Who is in this one? I have not watched it. No, I have not watched this one. And this one has who? Who is in the cast? I don't see it. Anyway, no, I'm not familiar with it. Um, what does it have? It's got a 99% though on Rotten Tomatoes. 
That's pretty good. This guy, it's got a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, yeah, I am not familiar with it. I probably won't watch it, to be honest with you, unless I get like a lot more people telling me because I just don't have the time for it. But thank you for putting that on my radar. And if I hear from more people, Timothy, maybe I'll give it a shot. All right, next up. Um, Starfish writes, Hey, John, going to try the ancient Rome TV series uh, uh, Domina about Octavius's wife, Olivia. I'm fascinated about that period. It's got mixed reviews, so it could be awful, but it does star Liam Cunningham. Uh, so who knows? We'll find out this evening. Will you be trying it? Um, I, I, I've, I've heard about it like once or twice. So probably not. Even though I am normally a sucker for like anything ancient Roman. I don't know if it's the Italian in me, but no, not really, uh, not really sure about that. Okay. Next up. Uh, let's see. The Wakandan forever writes, she's a small wonder, a girl, unlike other girls. She's a miracle. And I grant you, she'll enchant you at first sight. She's small wonder. She'll bring love and laughter everywhere. One of my favorite shows growing up. Who's your favorite humanoid robot. I don't even know who we're talking about. I have no, I, I have no idea, uh, what, what it is we're talking about, uh, Wakanda forever, not the slightest clue. Uh, who is my favorite humanoid robot? Um, it would probably have to be the one from the last Starfighter, uh, the one who goes to replace him in the, the, the park. I'm trying, I think Zeta or Beta. Beta, that's his name. He's a beta unit. So yes, beta. My favorite humanoid robot in uh, any movie is probably Beta from The Last Starfighter. I just, I just really like, uh, I just really like that character a lot. So I'd say that is my favorite. Thanks, Wakandan. All right, next up, another Skywalker writes in and tips in two hundred dollars. Another Skywalker, thank you so, dude, thank you so much for supporting our channel on that level, man. Seriously, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, we appreciate that a lot. He writes. Uh, hey, John, I don't have a specific question. I just wanted to say I appreciate what you do and the escape you provide from pressures of our everyday lives. Keep up the great work. Oh, man, thank you so much. Not First of all, not only did you support our channel on a massive level like that, and again, seriously, thank you so much for that, but you sent it in just to say you appreciate our show. Dude, that means a lot to us. And whenever you guys just send in stuff like that, especially when you take time out of your day to write in encouraging and supporting words, that means a lot uh, to us around here. So yeah, man, th again, another Skywalker, thank you so much. And you've been a very like uh, active supporter of our show for a long time. So thank you so much for that, man. Very, very much. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Jay Bling writes regarding moving big couches upstairs pivot. It's a friend's reference. Just okay. Friends. I knew it. I had, I had Seinfeld in my head. I had Seinfeld in my head, but I knew it was one of those like major era 80, 90s sitcom moments. I knew it was that a pivot. Okay. Thank you. Jay Bling for writing back in to give me an update on that. That's right. All right. Next up. Alan writes, Hey John, one scene that gives me chills is Andrew Garfield and Hacksaw Ridge. Every moment of Hacksaw Ridge gives me chills. Uh, when he is being led to a uh, medical tent by uh, Worthington's character after being asked if he is wounded, you could see that everyone's opinion, you could see everyone's opinion uh, of changing. Uh, what are some that, I don't know what it is you're asking, Alan. You could see everyone's opinions of changing. What are some that do it for you? I don't know what you're asking. I, let me just read it one more time. You could see everyone's opinion of changing. What are some that do it for you? Again, sorry, dude. I don't know what it is, what, what you're asking, but I will say this. Hacksaw Ridge, or Hacksaw Ridge was phenomenal. 
like an absolutely visceral, emotional, spiritually uplifting, phenomenal movie. Um, it, it's, it's just so damn good. I remember going in there, not really knowing what to expect. You know, it was, it's directed by Mel Gibson. So you never know like what's going on with, with all the distractions and turmoil surrounding Gibson and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't know what we were going to get. Uh, Vince Vaughn is in it as well. Vince Vaughn kills it in that movie. And I would have been perfectly fine. I kid you not. I would have been perfectly fine if it won best picture of the year that year. I, I wasn't, it wasn't my pick, but I thought that movie was so good that if it did win best picture that year, I would have been totally good with it. I, 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 I thought it was fantastic. I love that movie, Alan. I, I wish more people would talk about it too. All right. Thanks for that, dude. Next up, Ryan G writes, Hey John, if Rob is there, just missed him. This question is for him. What's better D what's a better DC TV show? Titans, Legends of Tomorrow or Doom Patrol? That's easy. Doom Patrol. Um, uh, can you ask him if he's not there or can you take the answer since he's not here? Oh yeah, I'll, that's easy. Doom Patrol is by far easiest, the best show that they've done. But it's not, um, now it's it's going to be a, an HBO Max show. It used to be for the DC streaming service. Now it's on HBO Max. Doom Patrol is like one of the top flight shows to me. Like the top flight shows to me are The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol in no particular order. These, to me, those three shows are the gold standard right now of any superhero uh, shows. That includes WandaVision. That includes Titans. That includes anything on the CW. That includes whatever. I, I really do think those three shows, Doom Patrol, Umbrella Academy, and The Boys, are the like the triumphant of the, the gold standard of what's out there right now. So, And I, I didn't think Titans was very good at all. I've always been very me medium on Legends of Tomorrow, but Doom Patrol is phenomenal. Absolutely. I love Doom Patrol so much. All right. And Al Renshaw sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Al. All right. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's see. Ryan G also writes, John, the last movie I saw in the theaters is with my dad seeing Disney's Onward. That was one of the last ones me and Ann would. I think that might have been the last movie Ann and I saw together in theaters before theater shutdown was Onward. Anyway, it was so good. I loved Onward. It was so good because when he was young, he lost his dad and uh, he lost his dad and baby brother. So it felt uh, heart. So it felt heart to us seeing the movie, but we did not cry. It was just so sad. Yeah, listen. Uh, I remember, first of all, I loved Onward because the whole movie is a Dungeons and Dragons adventure. And you know, Anne and I are both into D&D. &D. So with the whole movie is a big Dungeons and Dragons adventure. But it was also about a couple of dudes and who have lost their dad. And that was very special to us because my wife's dad, my father-in-law, um, just passed away a couple of years ago. He was a very good man and a great father who brought his family. He's the traditional immigrant story. He brought his family over from the Philippines to give his kids different opportunities for a, a bigger and better life. And that's why he brought his family over, all that kind of stuff. And my wife, Anne, loved her dad, loved her dad. And... um when he died, 
when he died, it was not unexpected. He had been having major, major health issues. We knew it was touch and go with him for, for, uh, for a while, but she lost her dad and watching onward with my wife, I had to hold her like half of the movie because every time she was loving the movie, but every time I would look over whenever they started talking about their dad or how special their dad was in the movie, like I knew I'm going to look at Anne right now and she's going to be crying. And I looked over and like most of the movie, Anne was just in tears. She was loving the movie, loving it, but a lot of tears. And I just had have my arm around her and, and for it. And it's a, it's beautifully done. And maybe like any other movie, your experience with the movie will depend on your own personal experiences that you've had. But man, I'm telling you as somebody who was a big D and D guy and you know, my wife had just lost her father and being in there with that. It it was a very powerful experience watching that movie. I not one of the best movies they've ever done, but it was truly a good movie and I enjoyed it a lot. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Thanks for that. Ryan Gene and Ryan tipped in like $20 on that. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that dude. All right. Next up, Ben Rayner writes, uh, hi, John. I hope, uh, I hope you had a great weekend. I did. I had a fantastic weekend, man. Spend it with family. It was really, really good. I was watching your companion video and that question about Superman and Lois and you commented on Lana's actress. Did you know she played Sloan on Entourage, uh, ease on and off girlfriend and uh, come co trivia and come co trivia also watched uh, buried with Ryan Reynolds. Nice because you keep talking about it and you're right. That movie is fantastic. Incredible acting by Ryan uh, and levels. I didn't know that he had that ending. Got me love this movie. 8.5 out of 10. Thank you. And bring on the filthy. All right. So I did not know. I remember watching Superman and Lois. Uh, let me hold a second. Let me bring this up here. So uh, Superman and Lois uh, cast. So Superman and Lois comes on right and i'm like who is this girl playing lana who i know who this i i know this girl i know this girl who's this girl playing lana i I kept asking myself who is she who is she yeah and at first i thought it was nina dobrev for a split second i thought it was nina dobrev the the girl who used to be in um um what's what was that show the vampire show she was in vampire diaries that was it so I used to think, because I, I totally recognize this girl. And at first I thought it was Nina Dobrev, but I kept looking at her. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not Nina Dobrev, but who is it? And then somebody yesterday wrote to me and said, oh, she played Sloan in Entourage. And I'm like, that's who it was. That's why she looks so damn familiar uh, to me. It was her. Yes. Yeah, so she was Sloan. My God, she's beautiful. I mean, I, 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 mean, I remember watching, um, when I would watch Entourage, I'm like, there's no way E could get a girl like that. Like that will be, she was smart, successful, ambitious, sexy. Anyway. Yeah. And she is great on Superman and Lois. I'm loving her as Lana Lang in that show. There's a lot I'm liking about that show, but yes, that's, that's who she is. She was Sloan in there. It's a really good one. All right. Next up. Um, Ben Rainer also right. Oh, also. And then you watch buried. Yeah. I've been telling people about buried for years, man. If you want to see how good of an actor Ryan Reynolds is watch buried without exaggeration. He should have gotten an Academy award nomination for that movie straight up. He absolutely should have gotten an Academy award nomination for that movie. If you want to see just how good this dude is, go and watch that movie. Cause whenever somebody gets into an argument, with you, you know, I don't think Ryan Reynolds is actually all that good of an actor. The first question I'll ask is, have you seen buried? 
and they'll always say no. I say, go watch Buried and then let's have this conversation again. Because seriously, it is a revelation of a movie to see just how talented Ryan Reynolds is. Glad you saw it, Ben. All right, Caleb writes. What exactly did Chapek do in Disney parks that was so bad? I knew he ran the vault and I hated him for it, uh, but I'm not too familiar with the park side. What were the hardcore parks fans upset about? You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I just remember when they announced Chapek was going to be the new CEO. All I know is that I had a whole ton of Disney park hardcore fans write into me to say, this is disastrous. And I, I am not a hardcore parks guy, so I've never really known what their issue is. All I know is, like all the Disney Parks fans, hated that he became the new CEO of Disney. I, I don't understand why. I don't know what the specific issues are. I am not somebody who pays a lot of close attention to, you know, the parks business side of Disney. I obviously concern myself more with the movie division and stuff like that. So I didn't know. And I still don't know, but man, they are mad about it. They were, they were mad about it. So any of you guys who were one of those hardcore Disney fan, Disney parks fans, and what, if you could jump into the comments section below and just kind of explain out, you know, what it was that, that you guys were so concerned about when it came to JPEG, cause I've, I've never really known myself, but obviously there's some stuff there that made them all like very, very upset. Anyway, so your question is the same one I've been asking, Caleb. All right, next up. Uh, Willie Todd writes or Wiley Todd writes, Hey John, I was wondering your thought on the new halo show that's coming out on Paramount plus. Have you played the games? It's great to see something out of this fantastic franchise, uh, with great story and fans. Uh, hopefully we can see red versus blue movie as well. I don't think we're, I think red versus blue is dead. I don't think we're going to see that, but I mean, I know the guys are still around. I'm just saying, um, I, no matter how good it is, it's too late. Like a Halo franchise, whether it's a movie or a series coming to Paramount, this is something that should have been on screens literally 10 years ago. It should have been on screen 10 years ago or more. And I remember um, when, remember back when Peter Jackson was going to direct a Halo movie? Let me see if I can find this. Um, uh, uh, let me see if I can just find this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this or not. Um, and I, yeah, I can't, I can't find it. I was going to try to find this old article that I wrote on the movie blog about, about uh, Halo. And I can't find it, but... I, I mean, that was supposed to happen, but then Peter Jackson refused to direct it himself, which is what the studios behind it wanted Peter Jackson to direct. Peter Jackson's like, no, 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 I know this kid, Neil Blomkamp. I want him to direct. But Neil Blomkamp had never directed anything at that time. He had never even been like an assistant director. He's never done anything on any actual real movie. And so the studios got really concerned and the studios pulled their support and then they weren't going to finance it anymore. And then it's just been in limbo for like ever. Limbo forever. So I am very curious to see how this whole Halo thing works itself out. Again, I don't know if it's going to be great or not. Um, I think maybe the time might have passed for it to hit its peak popularity. But I don't know. L listen, all we can do is hope that it's great. All we can do is hope that it's great. 
And uh, Paramount's taking their network and their stuff, their content very, very seriously. So let's see it all, how it all pans out. All right, next up. Uh, Lexi Forbes writes, John, I want to bring you back to 2012, 2013. How excited were you when you first heard that actor, uh, that your favorite actor, Russell Crowe was cast as Jor-El? Oh, huge. I was very, very happy about that. Uh, Again, Russell Crowe has been my favorite actor for a very, very long time. Uh, I think the dude's incredible. I think he's a, I don't think, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is the goat. He's the greatest of all time, but, uh, Russell Crowe's my favorite. I love Superman. Finding out Russell Crowe was going to be in a Superman movie was very, very exciting for me. My hot toy, one of the few hot toys I have is Russell Crowe as Jor-El from that. Of course, so yeah, pretty damn excited, Lexi. Pretty damn excited. All right, next up, Carl Wolf writes, Variety reports that AT&T will merge Discovery, HBO, and Warner. Uh, What does that mean for Discovery plus an HBO Max? Well, obviously, we talked about that a little bit uh, earlier. Warner Brothers has divested itself. At least they've made the agreement to. Warner Brothers or uh, AT&T is divesting itself of Warner Brothers. They are no longer going to be owning Warner Media. Discovery is now going to take Warner Media. They've paid $43 billion to AT&T to do this. And now Discovery and Warner Media are going to merge and create one brand new company. Uh, 71% of the new shareholders of this brand new company will be AT&T shareholders, not AT&T, the company the shareholders and the remaining 29% are going to be former discovery shareholders. And now together they are the collective shareholders of this brand new company. AT&T no longer has anything to do with it. And all that repercussion stuff that well, Rob and I spent about 40 minutes earlier talking about that. So I'll refer you back to that. All right, next up. Thanks for that, Carl. Next up, Johnny Weiner writes, or uh, Winner writes, I wonder if Matt Reeves will have his Batman killed or kill in the movie. We haven't seen Batman doesn't kill anybody since Batman and Robin. Also, uh, who's Richard Grayson? There's Dick, uh, there's Dick, uh, Jason, Tim, Damien's my favorite. There was a Black Robin recently. Is that him? Well, Richard is Dick. Dick is short for Richard. In the thing, if you look at it, Dick Grayson's full name is Richard Grayson. So that's that's who uh, it is. Just just so you know about that. Um, yeah, listen. And I again, my buddy, my buddy uh, Rodney was like the biggest Tim Drake fan. I mean, he loved the Tim Drake Robin. He had like would always. We were roommates for a while, and he had like all. He would always have the the Robin issues around all over the place. I thought that Damien, the Damien Wayne twist on Robin with you know his son and all that kind of stuff that was interesting. But yeah, my favorite has always been Richard. It's always been Dick Grayson, man. Always been Dick Grayson. All right, next up. Uh, uh, LT Big Dog writes, one of two. Uh, you have balls of steel, Campia. Uh, the big discussion that you and Rob shared about uh, the management at Disney was fantastic. But now that you've criticized the mouse, be careful. Those in the industry know that they are assassins. Look at this deal. Uh, with Warner Brothers and how they are waving the white flag. Uh, talk is cheap in Hollywood, and it looks like the corporates at Disney can point to their $315 billion market value and say, who the fuck cares about those creatives? We are in the business, we are the business makers who rule. Yeah, but here's the thing. And first of all, l- let me be very clear about something. No studio, not Warner Brothers, not Paramount, not Sony, not Disney not Lionsgate, none of them. No studio has ever 
gotten in touch with me for being critical about something that they do or have done. Now, I have had studios reach out to me when I have uh, to clarify something that I might have accidentally misrepresented. Uh, And I have received an angry email or two from a studio when I in it, when I totally accidentally broke, um, uh, broke uh, embargo on something and I put up a review too early and I didn't realize I had done it. And so they were totally justified to get in touch with me and be very, be pretty pissed. And they were totally right to do that because I broke an embargo moron. It was totally accidental, but they were totally right to be mad at me for that. Uh, but other than that, I have never once had any studio whether I've gone off on something that Disney has done or something that Warner Brothers has done or something that whatever, I've got friends and good relationships with people at all of these studios. And even when I'm very critical, they know because they know my job is to give my commentary and opinion on things going on in the entertainment world. And that means if they're going to love it and be happy when I love something that they do, like whether I love the Avengers or love Man of Steel or love Top Gun or whatever... They know that when I love something, I'm going to be heaping praise on it, but they all know that if I don't like something, I'm going to be very vocal about not liking what I see. And they know that, and they don't expect any less from me. They're professionals, and so it doesn't change anything. See, a lot of people think, oh, if you uh, if you don't say that Paramount is great, Paramount's not going to like... No, no, no. The Paramount people are professionals. They know our job as either pundits or some as journalists or critics... Our jobs is to give our opinions and they expect us to do nothing less. Try to be fair as you're giving the opinion, but if it's super negative, then it's super negative. That doesn't affect our working relationship with them at all. Any more than being super positive doesn't get you anything either. See, a bunch of people think that, oh, if journalists say something positive about that company, they're going to get special. No, they don't. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Not really. Um, So, it is what it is, but I have never, ever, to all of the studio's credits, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Sony, Disney, all of them, I have never gotten pushback from any of them uh, for my opinion about anything. And uh, that they we continue to do business together and we continue, that we will, moving forward. And I'm going to give my opinion, positive or negative, on things, and they know that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, there's just that. Okay, next up. Uh, we've got... Um, Oh, also, this tidbit should give you, Rob, and the movie community a major hard-on. Uh, Zaslav has Hollywood ties. He is close to Spielberg and other power players. Recently uh, bought the home of Robert Evans. Yes, looks like the kid is going to stay in the picture. Oh, yeah, he is going to be the head CEO. He's going to run this new company. He, The guy who was the head of Discovery, who has led them to incredible success for this small little outlet, something I never thought would work. And he has steered it to incredible success. He has got, he is very closely tied with a lot of people in Hollywood. He knows how to run an entertainment industry. He knows how to formulate good relationships with his creators, which has been one of the hallmarks of what he's done over at Disney, which is something that Jason Kalar at Warner media has done a terrible job of over the years. So this could be very good for them. It might be a disaster, but it could be very good for them. We'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, next up. BK Dan writes, John, do you think slash believe that Disney plus premier access will continue after 2021? I ask knowing that, you know, more sometimes compared to what you volunteer. Um, it, listen, they're going to experiment with this a few more times. Remember after they did the Mulan experiment, uh, 
with the premier access thing. And it was a complete unabashed failure. That premier access thing they did with Mulan was a major, major failure by every analytic. We said at the time, they're not done. You can't, like, when you're talking about trying to formulate what the entire future of what you're going to do is, you have to have more than one or two or three or four sample size. I think they're going to do 10, 15, 20 movies like this. Which ones? We're not really sure yet. We know of a couple that are coming. But we got to see if they continue to get the same results that uh, Mulan did and that Raya did, because they didn't do great for them. Despite what you might hear, they did not do great for them. Or will it turn into a bounding success? The thing is, they haven't done, they don't have a big enough sample size yet. So I can't even take a guess right now. What I do think is this. I think some of their movies getting premiere access on Disney Plus is probably going to be some sort of a regular thing. 5% of their movies doing it, 15% of their movies doing it, 30% of their movies doing it, 2% of their movies doing it. That I don't know. We'll have to see how the next four or five movies that they test out with it start to perform. If they continue to fail like the previous ones did, it won't last long. But if they start to show big growth and improvement, it might become more of a standard. So we'll see how that goes. All right, good question, man. Next up, Omar Darwish writes, uh, Hey, John, wondering if you've heard of the comic run going on right now, The Last Ronin. I have, yes. It's a bloody R-rated story following the last surviving Ninja Turtle seeking revenge after his three brothers and Splinter have all been brutally killed, reminiscent of the original. Yeah, I have not read it. I have not looked at it. Um, you guys know that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, to me, are a disgrace, even though I really like a couple of movies. But, like, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were not pizza-eating, skateboard-riding, cowabunga dude idiots. The original, if you go back to the original comic books of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it was dark, it was violent, it was serious, uh, it was awesome. I am, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan, even though I got to admit, like, a couple of the movies I have really enjoyed. I have. I'm not going to lie. But I want to see a true remake of the real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's what I want to see. And yeah, that does sound like it gets back to what the original roots of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are. But I haven't read it myself. All right, next up. Uh, Brent B. writes, I know we're running overtime, guys. We know what we're going to go long today. We're going to go a little bit long today. Uh, so let's keep going for a few more minutes, shall we? Uh, Brent B. writes, I've worn my mask since the start of the pandemic, and now I'm completely vaccinated. Good on you, man. With the CDC allowing people to be maskless, this weekend I went to two restaurants and Walmart with no mask on. It felt so strange. Can't wait to go to movies now. Yeah, listen, I am fully vaccinated, and I'm going to tell you what, I still wear my mask when I go out. Not because I need protecting. Not because I need protecting. Because I'm fully vaccinated, I'm good. I wear a mask now when I still go out in public because I want other people to feel comfortable. Um, we live in an increasingly, uh, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do this. I'm not saying everybody needs to do this, not at all. It all depends on the areas you live in and the things that you do and all that kind of stuff, absolutely. But I want... As people are now, we're trying to get everything back to normal. People are now venturing out, going to restaurants, going to the movies and stuff like that. I still recognize we are not out of this pandemic yet. 
And so me personally, I make the decision. First of all, a lot of places we go to still require you to wear a mask inside. Like, it doesn't matter what the CDC thing is. Like, there's Anna and I just went to a restaurant. But, like, uh, yeah, but when you go in, you don't have to have your mask on while you're eating your meal. But when you go in, you're still required to wear your mask. As you go in, it gets taken to your seat and all that kind of stuff. I still will wear my mask when I go out because I don't ever want to be somebody... I want people to get back in the habit of going out. And if me wearing a mask is going to help other people feel more comfortable uh, being at that restaurant or being at that shopping center or being at that movie or whatever, if that is going to help other people feel more comfortable and get back into the process of getting back to normal again, then I've got no problem wearing a mask for a while. I mean, for fuck's sakes, there are men and women who fight and die for their country fight and die, leave their families behind, go off overseas, you know, serve their country. Some fight, some die. And fucking giblets McDaniel can't be fucking bothered to put a mask on when he goes out to help, you know, to help his country out. I don't know. Again, I, 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 it's just something that, that befuddles me and whatever, but Hey, listen, if it's all part of the process of getting us back to, the place where we're getting back to normal, where pretty soon we can put all this behind us. If that means wearing my mask a little bit longer, hell with it. I'll wear my mask a little bit longer. I know, I know it is a crime against humanity itself that my drop dead effing Italian sexiness should be covered in any way, shape or form to the needy public around there who need to see my glorious face. But it's the little sacrifices we all must make, my friends. It's the little sacrifices we all must make. And if that's the sacrifice we need to make right now, then that's the sacrifice we need to make right now. Anyway, I'm not telling anybody else how to think. I, I don't, I, I'm not, it is not my intention to tell anybody else how to think. But you're asking me, so I will tell you how I think and why I do the things that I do. That is not me telling you how you're supposed to conduct yourself or handle yourself in any way, shape, or form. I'm just telling you how I think and kind of my approach to it. That's all. But damn, look at me. Holy shit, I am sexy. Anyway, uh, next up. I know you're all thinking it. You're all thinking it. Well, So I might as well be the one to say it right? I'm just saying what y'all are thinking. Obviously, right? Okay, next up. John Campia OnlyFans coming soon. All right, next up. Thanks for writing that in, Brett, and it is great to start to be able to see things starting to get back to normal, man. It really is. All right, next up. Uh, Brandon also writes, uh, I know you're tired of hearing about it, but I, but it needs to be asked with Warner media and discovery merging and Warner media being spun off into another company with a new CEO. How do you think this will affect the chances of the Snyderverse continuing zero? Listen, the Snyderverse was a failed experiment, but John, you like, Oh, it doesn't matter if I like him. It doesn't matter if I like him. I mean, listen, one of the reasons Jason Kilar is losing his job as the head of Warner Media is because he greenlit the the uh, the Justice League Snyder cut in the first place, and they wasted tens of millions of dollars. I won't tell you how I know that, but everybody everybody in the industry knows that. Um, they are not going back to it. Uh, the, the head of uh, Discovery sees what works and sees what does not work, and he's not about to go back to what didn't work. So, no, I, I don't think we're going to see uh, any kind of return of uh, Snyderverse whatsoever moving forward. Now, listen, there are things that 
that have happened in Spider in Snyderverse that other filmmakers can continue on. Like I'm still sitting. You guys know I think Man of Steel is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. It's the most underrated comic book movie of all time. It is a it is a masterpiece of the genre. There is still a possibility that we could get a Man of Steel too, and and those things could be continued on. But a return to Snyderverse when they've tried it several times, it never worked the way they wanted it to work. I, I don't ever see them going back to it. Never say never. But my my guess right now, if you're asking me to ask right now, is is probably not. Probably not. And listen, I know that's not what some people want to hear. But I'm just giving my honest opinion. And maybe it'll turn out that way. Maybe it won't. But, you know, you're asking me my opinion. I'm giving you my opinion. All right, next up. Uh, the Sock writes, uh, just been Superman and Lois. I love how much Jordan and Jonathan truly care for each other. Like when Jonathan was drunk and Jordan took care of him, uh, that was very touching. Also, it felt so satisfying that Jordan got to play football. I don't know why, you know, that was, that was a really good, interesting dilemma. Now, for those of you who don't know in Superman and Lois, uh, they've, they've got a son named Jordan who's kind of more, you know, they got the super athletic, uh, son, Jonathan, who has no superpowers, but they've got this socially awkward son, Jordan, and he is developed. He, they've realized he's got some of his dad's powers. And so there's this really interesting, it seems like a little fluff thing, but honestly, I found it fascinating as a viewer asking myself this question, what should they do? Because they're struggling with, should they allow their son, Jordan, who's never been able to fit in socially and all that kind of stuff, should they allow him to play football? Even though it it's fundamentally unfair because nobody else knows he has superpowers. He has super strength. He has kind of super speed. He is obviously much stronger than everybody else. And Superman and Lois wrestling with the question of should they allow their son to play football? Is that fair? Is it right? Now, in the show... They decide to let him play football because it lets him feel like he belongs. It gives him a place of, a, it gives him a sense of a place in the social structure of high school, something he's never felt before. It's allowed him to make new friends. But at the same time, it poses an interesting philosophical question Is it right? Like, because now he's a starter on a football team, and some other kid who would have been a starter doesn't get to be a starter now because he doesn't have superpowers. Only nobody knows that Jordan has superpowers. It's a really interesting dilemma. And I find it's little things like that. The verisimilitude, as Rob would say, of little situations like that. It's like, huh, is it morally right that they let their kid who has superpowers play football and have this clearly unfair advantage over all the other kids playing? Or do the benefits of the fact that it lets this kid have a sense of belonging finally uh, experience that. It's a really good question. And it's one that made me look, they've just done a great job with this Superman Lois show. They really, really have. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, the sock also writes also, I binged death and robots and I really love the stories. Interesting. I love death and robots. Uh, but I think they really could benefit from being longer, even if it were just another 15 minutes. Yeah. I have never watched love death and robots. I just remember when season one was coming, I watched a few minutes of some previews and then I watched the trailers for it and it just never interested me. So let's be clear. I'm not saying it's bad. 
I'm not at all saying it's bad. I'm saying I haven't watched it just because it never really looked interesting to me. But I know Rob watches it, Sock. Rob watches Love, Death, and Robots. And I know he enjoys it quite a bit. I know a number of people who really like it. So you're probably in really good company there. All right, next up. We got Kevin M. King who writes, uh, what's up, John? Love your show. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate that, man. Um, I've been with you since the movie blog closet days. Uh, anyway, I agree with you on your stance about... Uh, ethnic changing in comic book movies. However, one point that I think is ignored, why not introduce the, the cool black or uh, Asian characters that already exist in the MCU or DCEU? Uh, you're a comic book guy. Any recommendations? I want to see the Blue Marvel, especially his, con uh, his conversation with JFK. By the way, I'm really not too sure how how to do the one out of two thing on the tip page. Thanks. All you got to do is at the beginning of your thing, put one of two. But anyway, um, yeah, that's often a big question. Look, look, when it comes down to the whole ethnic question about, you know, black Superman, all kind of stuff, I still have this day have not heard one legitimate valid argument about why they shouldn't try doing a Superman movie with a black Superman. I haven't heard one legitimate reason why they shouldn't do it. Not one. Now, it's not what I would do. I'm, I'm just being open and transparent about that. I am more of a traditionalist. If I was running that that situation and that, uh, uh, that project, I would probably stick because I'm more of a traditionalist. I would probably stick with a white Superman. But there's not a single legitimate valid reason why they shouldn't be free to try one with a black Superman. Go for it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Who cares? And if, it's, if it works, great. We got a, a new great fun movie with kind of a different take. But I, again, I haven't heard one legitimate reason why they shouldn't do it. Now, what does get brought up a lot, but it's a secondary discussion, is why don't they do more movies? Like, forget the Superman situation. Why don't they do more movies with some of the existing comic book characters like Blue Marvel or others? I think there's a there's a Filipino uh, superhero now. I think it's called Typhoon. I think isn't is that the name of the Filipino girl, the superhero Filipino girl, Typhoon? I think uh, anyway. So and there are several, many others. Why not do those? Well, I think because of the same reason why a lot of lesser known characters don't get made because I think they're just worried whether they're white, Asian, black, Native American, whatever. I think they're just worried that. They're just not recognizable enough. They don't have a brand name that goes with them. It, they don't know that they can make something successful or not. And maybe if we start to see more representation in movies, maybe that will down the road open the door for more of these things. Like, for example, you know, once you do Black Panther, Black Panther opens the doors for a lot of things, too. And maybe if they can get more representation in those movies, they'll see it as a, a bigger opportunity. Because you know me, I've always wanted to see a Bishop movie. I am, Bishop is not my favorite comic book character. Magneto is my favorite comic book character. But I have always been fascinated with the Bishop character. I love Bishop. And I always thought a Bishop movie, understanding his history, um, would be fantastic. And maybe it'll open up to that. Uh, maybe they'll open up to it. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where they go. We'll see where they go with it. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, next up is Kevin M. King writes, do you think we'll ever go back to the day when movies were just good? Just a good time at the theater. I watched Spiral this weekend, and after hearing all the trash talk about the movie, I expected a disaster, but I had a good time. Your thoughts? Well, here's the thing, Kevin. You had a good time. That's great. 
but other people didn't. That's the subjectivity of film, right? You may watch something and not think it's very good, but a lot of other people may think it's fantastic. Like uh, me, I again, I always go back to uh, Blade Runner. I'm not a fan of the original Blade Runner. I recognize and acknowledge most people love it and hail it as a big all-time classic. And sure, that its place in history can't be questioned. But I don't actually personally think it's all that good. I thought the second Blade Runner that Denis Villeneuve did was far superior. But that's just me because all film is subjective. So you may have watched it and you thought it was good and that's great. But that doesn't mean you're right. It also doesn't mean the people who disliked it aren't right. It just means that you watched it and you liked it, but a lot of other people did and they didn't. And so, like, when you ask the question, where we get back to when a movie can just be good? Well, here's the problem, Kevin and King. There's a lot of people who did watch Spiral and didn't think it was just good. They thought it was just bad. And then there are other people who thought it was quite good. But that is the beautiful thing about movies, man. The beautiful thing about movies is that it's art. And as art, it hits us all in different ways. And we have different experiences with that art. And that when that art hits us, it elicits different reactions from us. And that's not something, there are a whole bunch of people who get worried about that. Oh, no, the, 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 the subjectivity of art is the most beautiful thing about art. That's the best thing about it. Because what fun is there in discussing art if we all have the same experience with it, right? Eh, That's just kind of my take on it. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. And I'm glad you enjoyed that movie, dude. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I haven't seen it yet myself. I I only had time to watch a couple this weekend. I didn't, wasn't able to see Spiral yet. All right. Uh, Joel C81 writes, good day, John. How's droning going? I haven't done a lot of droning. I I got this great drone and bought me this great DJI drone. And when you understand like my backyard over goes over into complete wilderness. Um, I love playing with my drone, but I haven't done it much lately. I need to get back on it. Anyway, have you gotten to use it yet? Uh, I love my Mavic, but the new FPV looks like so much fun. Again, I haven't used it nearly enough. I'm going to start using it more though. Ann and I were actually talking about that last night because we're getting ready to set up like a movie screen in our backyard. So we can be in the jacuzzi and watch a movie at the same time. That's what we're going to try to do at any rate. See if we can cobble together some way to make that happen. But we were talking yesterday about it. I need to start using my drone more because the weather's a little bit better for it now, and I am going to try it a little bit more. All right, next up. Uh, we've got, hold on a second. Um, uh, okay, Choose to be Anonymous tips in like $50. Thank you, Choose to be Anonymous. I appreciate that very much, man. Thanks for supporting our channel on that level. And Choose to be Anonymous writes in, uh, Love you, John. Thank you for what you do. Your work makes me really happy, and I have something to look forward to watching uh, in my day-to-day life. Uh, love. Oh, thanks, man. Again, it's it's always so nice when people want to just send in something to support the show and not even want anything back for it, just to say, hey, man, we appreciate the show. Dude, you have no idea how much that means to me and how good that makes me feel when folks like you or another Skywalker or, or whoever else, when all of you guys... Uh, tip in and support the channel. That's how this sh- this channel, this network exists, guys. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate that very, very much. All right. Dan FX writes, uh, love the show. Thank you so much. Guys, did you see the newest Castlevania? Oh my God. Netflix is two for two these past few weeks with Mitchells versus the Machines, which was insanely good. Yeah, I was a little bit late to the Mitchells versus the Machines party. 
but I really enjoyed Mitchell's Earth of the Machines. It was it was Pixarian. That is the that is high high praise for a Sony animation movie. It was Pixarian. That's it really had the heart and the humor and it was just a really really good time. And yeah, I enjoyed Castlevania season 4. I mean, I don't I don't super love Castlevania. It does a few things that are a little bit schlocky, but Overall, it's a fun watch. And I know there's a part in Castlevania 4 when, I'm not going to give anything away, but like when three certain characters get together, my wife, my wife Anne loves Castlevania. And when they came together on screen, my wife was like, woo! Like she was like bouncing up and down on the couch. It was She was so excited about it. Anyway, thanks for that, Dan FX. All right, next up. The Hoser and the Knob writes, with the theatrical window trimmed to 45 days, what kind of effect will we see on the marketing side of films? What changes could we see happen to try and spur uh, up more theatrical viewers in the smaller window? Thanks and continue bringing on the filthy. Okay, so that's a good question. And this, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is one of the reasons why, while I, I personally would have set the new window at 60 days, why I still think 45 days is okay. Because over the past number of years, the viewing habits of audiences have changed. It used to be, uh, back in the olden days, there used to be a time when a movie could be in theaters, like even, not even terribly long ago, like go back to uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Like if you go back to like a movie like the original My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that is a movie that could come out and it could hang around in theaters for 9, 10, 11, 12 weeks, right? But over the years, movie-going audiences' viewing habits have changed. More and more every year, people who go to see a movie see it earlier and earlier in its release. To the point that after three weeks in the theater, a, a movie, there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. But for the most part, you know, we see a 50 to 60% drop from weekend one to weekend two, another 50 to 60 to 70% drop from weekend two to weekend three, and so on and so forth. The habits of the viewers have been to see movies now earlier and earlier and earlier in their theatrical run. It is very uncommon for people, not like it's not like there's none of them, but it's uncommon now for a lot of people to see a movie for the first time in its fifth or sixth weekend of release. There obviously are people who still do it. I'm just saying it's it's a much smaller number. And since that window has closed and gotten smaller and smaller and smaller for how quickly people go to see a movie, what it ultimately means is that I think they can make this theatrical window move from 90 days to 45. And even though it's a little bit tight, I actually don't think they're going to, it's going to make that big of a difference because most people will see that movie in theaters in its first 30 days. Like when they go see it, they'll see it on week one, week two, or week three. That's where the vast majority of the money is made. And so I think they're probably going to, they're, they're going to stick with that. So um, how will it affect the marketing? I don't think much because marketing over the last few years has been putting a bigger and bigger emphasis on getting that first weekend box office. And since that plays well into a 45-day window, I think you're just going to see it play into that even more. I think you're going to see that emphasis on getting as many people as possible to that first and second weekend box office. If they're already doing it that way. I think they're just going to continue doing that way. So, But it's going to be a good situation to keep our eyes on as they move forward. All right. 
Uh, last question of the day, guys. Then we got to wrap it up. We've gone for two and a half hours here today. Sam Fisher writes, I don't have HBO Max, but I do have Discovery Plus. Will they jack up the price of Discovery Plus and join it with HBO Max in a bundle like Disney did with Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN? I like Discovery Plus because of how cheap it is. Um, because of how cheap it is. $15 a month for HBO Max is too expensive for me. Um, that's going to be a good question. What is this new company going to do? I personally am guessing that they are going to merge in all the content into one streaming company. Now, I have no information that backs that up. Let's be clear. That is just me speculating. But yeah, I think their approach is going to be to, and whatever this new company is going to be called, you know, Discover HBO or Warner Covery or Diswarner Covery HBO Supersize Penis Max Deluxe Comic Reviews dot fart. I mean, I don't know what they're going to call it. But my guess, and it's just a guess, I believe they will make one mega streaming service that will carry all of the HBO Max stuff and all of the Discovery stuff. You know, they're going to give us the Green Lantern and they're going to give us Property Brothers and they're going to give us Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives and it's going to be all part of one thing. Now, yes, the other thing that could happen is that they could just keep HBO Max and just keep Discovery Plus and have both of these sub things under the new company that owns them both and do some kind of package deal where for $17 a month, you get both HBO Max and Discovery. I, I mean, I don't know. They could do it that way. My guess, and it's just pure speculation on my part, is that they're going to make one mega streaming service. And, and I, I don't feel a great deal of conviction about that. Like, they very well may not. But I'm, I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's what they're going to do. So we'll see. All right, I said that was the last question, but let's take one more. Uh, comes to us from Let's Make Things Dark Rights. In Citizen Kane, young Jedediah looks like or looks related to John Cena as well as young Susan Alexander looks like uh, Isla Fisher. I have never thought about that. I have never thought about that. I will have to go back and take a look at that, to be honest. But, you know, if he looks like John Cena, then how do you see him on screen? Get it? Get it? Uh, that was probably a bad one. All right, let's do one more. Amanda... Uh, uh, Hugekins writes, Hey, John and Rob, Rob's not here right now. Uh, what do you think of these names for the new company name or at least streaming name? Warner Brothers Premium, uh, Disner, or my personal favorite, Warcovery? Oh, Warcovery is nice. Um, Warner Brothers Premium. Look, in all seriousness, though, seriousness, seriousness, though, Amanda, Rob and I have talked a lot about that. I've we've always felt like HBO Max was the wrong name for that service. Yes, HBO is a very recognizable name in entertainment, but Warner Brothers is a much bigger name in entertainment. And Rob and I always kind of felt like to separate the confusion because we had HBO, HBO Now, HBO Go, and now HBO Max. I mean, it's just convoluted. They should have had WB or Warner in the name of the new service. And so, yet yeah, to be honest with you, Amanda, I like your idea of Warner Brothers Premium. That's not a bad name. I, I, so, yeah, I don't know. I like that. 
Warner Brothers Premium. That kind of works. I don't even care if they call it Warner Brothers Plus anymore because then with everybody using the word plus, everybody now in instantly knows what it is when you put plus after it. So I don't know. It's, it's not very creative, but maybe that'll work. But Warner Brothers Premium, that's not bad. That's not bad. All right, guys, listen. Uh, for everybody else who's waiting to get their questions answered from Let's Make Things Dark, Michael Wolf, uh, Otto, and Anonymous, do not worry. We will start off tomorrow's show when we get to the live questions part with your questions. We're going to start off where we left off. So if you didn't get your question asked quite yet, don't worry. It's going to get addressed tomorrow. And don't forget, guys, that you guys can also start sending in. You don't have to wait till the show is live. You can send in those comments and questions whenever you want. And the earlier you send them in, the earlier they get read. Once again, just go to www.streamlines.com slash movieblogtv slash tip and uh, submit there. And you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And after that, that does it, guys, for today's long edition. On this Monday of the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in your comments and questions because of two things. You gave us great fun things to talk about, but also you supported this channel as you did it. Now, I want to mention one other thing before we sign off here. Before we sign off, I want to do one other thing. Uh, I want to talk about uh, something that is fairly important fairly important to me. Uh, let me just bring this up. I, I should have had this picture ready to go, but I'm going to have to do it now. Just give me one moment to get my bearings. But today is a very special day um, for me personally. And it is a very special day because today is my dad's birthday. Uh, today is my dad's birthday. And let me talk for a second about my dad. Uh, my dad, who's hiding behind Anne there. <laughs> my dad, my my dad, when last time we were in Canada, my dad decided to surprise us by bringing home a whole ton of big lobster back to the ranch. And I don't eat lobster. And my dad's like, since when don't you like lobster? I'm like, I don't know, dad, 45 years. But Anne was like, Okay, dad, let's go eat lobster. So yeah, they went up and, and had lobster. Listen, my dad um, is, and I know many people feel the same way uh, about their dads, but let me let me talk for a second about my dad. My mom and my dad, but today's my dad's birthday. You guys hear me talk about my, uh, my mom a lot. Uh, Michael Gardner sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Michael. Um, my dad as I'm sure a lot of men will say this, and it is absolutely true for me as well. My dad to me is the definition and the model to me of what a man is and what a man should be. Uh, my dad, directly and indirectly, taught me in my life by living an example. My dad was never a lecture kind of dad. My dad was never one to sit down and say, listen, John, this is how this has got to be. And this is how this works and blah, blah, blah. That, that's not my dad's style of, of parenting. That might be the absolute right style for a lot of other parents to do. Absolutely. But I learned everything about life and about what it is to be a man from my father not from lessons that he would tell me, but from the way he modeled his life. I learned from my dad 
the preeminence of family. I watched my dad do things for family members that I didn't even care too much about. And there are some stories to tell, but there, there, are, there are dark corners to, to my, on my, in my wider family tree that I didn't like very much. But you know what? Whenever family ever needed anything, it just wasn't a question for my dad. If it's family, we do what we need to do to support family. Now, everybody says that. Everybody says that stuff. But Pasquale Campia, my dad, Pat Campia, he always lived that and modeled that. Not just for me and my siblings, not just for me and Heather and Sandy and Rob, but whenever anybody in the family needed something, if that meant we had to have some family members move into our house when, you know, a selfish teenage John Campia was like, why do these, why are these guys moving into our house? I have less room now. It didn't matter. They were family. And my dad modeled that. My dad also modeled for me what hard work meant. You know, my dad came over from the old country with my grandfather. My dad's entire life was about hard work and exceeding and excelling and providing for your family and doing all this stuff. And he modeled for me a work ethic and what putting in work and what putting in effort and what deserves your work and your effort and understanding why you work and why you put in effort and hard work and family trumps everything. My dad modeled that for me and my siblings my whole life. He never sat down with us to tell us the importance of hard work. He never sat down to tell us the importance of family. He just modeled it. He just modeled it his whole life. He still does. You know, my mom and dad are at the age right now where they should be looking at me and my siblings. My mom and dad are at the age right now where they should be looking at me and my siblings and saying, we love you kids, but F right off. We are, we're going to enjoy our life right now. But you know what my mom and dad still do? My mom and dad, see, I've been able to take risks in my life. The whole, I've taken a lot of risks and I've rolled the dice many times. You guys know that even in my career. But one of the reasons I've always been able to do that is because I've known that if I take a shot at something and I fail miserably at it, I can always go home. To an unjudgmental, open, unconditional love kind of environment where no matter what happens, I know my mom and dad are there. When I needed my first car, my dad stepped up and got us our car. We weren't rich. Growing up, we did not have a lot of money. But my dad always made sure we had what we need. And to this day, my dad will still help me and my siblings. Whenever there's something that they need help with, this first thing my dad does is, what can we do to help? I mean, I'm not going to get emotional, but I love my parents and I never get to see them. Um, and I'm not a great communicator. I'm a great communicator online, but I'm not a great communicator in face to face. I'm very socially awkward. And so I don't think me or my siblings tell my dad enough, dad, you are the greatest man I have ever known. And you are the standard for me by what a man is. And whenever I try to look at myself for how I conduct business, how I work 
and relate with my family and while I'm living down here and side of the family, um, I always measure myself by the standard of Pat Campia. So love you, dad. Happy birthday. And thank you for giving me and my sisters and my brother the opportunity to have the life that we have. So thank you very much for that, dad, and happy birthday. All right, guys. That'll do it for us on today's show. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you join us for that. And for now, guys, my name's John Campia. And until next time, bye-bye.